I don't really have anything good today. I have these two tiny speeches that have been sitting around here like so much filmographic, uh, filmographic, filmographic. What am I trying to say? I, I got these two know. speeches that are just sitting here like they're just like a these bunch two of crappy speeches. Filmographic, you play those? lots of them. I don't have anything good prepared. I have I have two small things prepared here that maybe if I if I join them together and play them back to back, they'll be good. Wait, hold on. Let me find the first one. Uh... Excuse me, Jack. Yeah. I was thinking about what the colonel was saying, you know, about my name. Uh-huh. I was just wondering if you had any ideas. I had some thoughts on it, yeah. What about you? What do you think? Well, my idea was, you know, I just want a name. I want it so we can cut glass, you know, like razor sharp. Razor sharp, right. Yeah, well, when I close my eyes, I see this thing, like this big sign. And the name is in, like, bright blue neon lights with, like, purple outline. And his name is just so bright and so sharp that the sign, it just blows up because the name is just so powerful. It's all very visual. It says dirt Diggler. I think, I think heaven has sent you here, dirt Diggler. <laughs> I think the angels have blessed us all because of you. Dirt. Dirt. <laughs> yeah, I've yeah that was that was a real good one. No, there. I've either got, I've got or I've got this one. Do not arouse the wrath of the great and powerful Oz. I said come back tomorrow. If you are really great and powerful, you'll keep your promises. Do you presume to criticize the great Oz? You ungrateful creatures think yourself lucky that I'm giving you audience tomorrow instead of 20 years from now. Oh, the great Oz has spoken. Oh. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. The great Oz has spoken. Who are you? Oh, I, I, I am the great and powerful wizard of Oz. You are? Uh, I don't believe you. No, I'm afraid it's true. There's no other wizard except me. You humbug! Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's exactly so. I'm a humbug. Oh, you're a very bad man. In less than an hour, <laughs> aircraft from here will join others from around the world. And you will be launching the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind. Mankind, that word should have new meaning for all of us today. We can't be consumed by our petty differences anymore. We will be united in our common interest. Perhaps space today is the 4th of July. And you will once again be fighting for our freedom. Not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution. We're fighting for our right to live, to exist, and should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday, but as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night, we will not vanish without a fight.
All right, good save at the end. Uh, it's five minutes and 13 seconds after the hour of 11, and this is the month of October in the year of our Lord, 2007. Thank you for coming along, making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970, Silent State Radio. Uh, this, my friends, is the uh, Rick Emerson Radio Program, broadcasting uh, from uh, beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. Thank you so much. All right. Anyway. We're here. It is Monday, and welcome to Day 12. Thank you for coming by, making a part of your listening day. My friends, my chums, my amigos, it's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. You want to join us today with your comments, your clarifications, your conventions, your corrections, your uh, input, your what have you. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. You want to email us, you can do that as well. It is uh, rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at 970.am or Tim at 970.am. Uh, our good friend, the intrepid Richie Bristol, standing by, ready to pass along your calls about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, the mundane. Your thoughts on Bill Pullman? I did have this thought, by the way, while we were playing the Independence Day speech just now. I mean, it's sort of tempting to go as Bill Pullman for Halloween, except how would you possibly do that? Like, in what conceivable way could you dress up that anybody would be able to identify you as Bill Pullman? Really, the weird thing about that film is, and I know that I've made this observation several times, but I'm going to sort of expand on it here. The interesting thing about Independence Day is that there's nothing interesting about Independence Day. It is, I would say this, not only is Bill Pullman among the blandest actors who's ever lived, that is probably the blandest blockbuster, really with the exception of the White House being blown up. There's just nothing remarkable about that film. It, it is a great and powerful film. I'm not saying that ever. I'm not saying that it doesn't have its fan base. Clearly, it does. And it's right here. I am. I was just going to say, there's 66 percent of this room that are deeply entrenched in the Independence Day fandom. It made me want to get uh, well, active in the American way of life. Really? Um, the I, I will say this actually, our good friend Ken DeRoshi, Independence Day is the film that he uses to show off his sound system at home. He's got this Dolby 5.1 system, and Indi people come over and they say, "That's that's some sound system you've got there, Ken." He goes, "Hey, wait, hold on a second. And he goes over and he drags Independence Day, the special edition, out on DVD and just turns it up as loud as it will go. And he's because he's got the big ass HD TV as well, and he just goes right to that White House explosion scene, where the White House goes up, as Ed Wood would say, in a big explosion. Uh, anyway, the movie is just completely... It, it, there's just no friction. That movie, it's, it's like a film made out of Teflon. There's just nothing about it you can really grab onto. There's nothing about it you can really get a hold of. It's, it's, it just sort of is smooth and slips right through your glass, like uh, your grasp. It just, you, you try to hold onto it and it's gone. So if I were to dress up as Bill... In fact, if I were to dress up as Bill Pullman in any film, how would you recognize me? There'd just be nothing... Like, except for that big, weird flop of hair that he's got over his forehead all the time, which I think is actually gone now. I think he's largely bald at this point. Well, at any event. So there you go. He's not... I think he, he shaved his head. He looks really bad. He shaved, did he shave his head to get into character for a role? Is he is he taking some uh, uh, gritty, he, edgy, streetwise role in a, in a play somewhere? He's edging, uh, aging very poorly. <laughs> All right. It's 503-733-2970. I'm a little marble mouth. Hold on. i got to get some water. Water. It's, uh, it's Monday. I don't think all my synapses are firing correctly. I think I stumbled over the third word out of the gate this morning, so that's never a good sign. That's, I'll get it all Is it just me? Are you hearing more of the mono bed in your left channel? No, I'm fine. Uh-oh. Oh, oh. <laughs> Someone's my going hearing. deaf again. No. No, I, uh... No, everything seems perfectly balanced. My my voice seems balanced. Maybe it's my headphones. I've had these for like four years. Yeah, that's a lot. It's like 50 uh, years in headphone years. 
Do you let anybody else use those? No. I lock them up. Yeah. Will no, you come you're... over here and listen? I don't want to put on your headphones. I know. It's kind of gross. But I, you I got really... some weird ear fungus. Right? I don't have an ear fungus. Not just, anymore. I can't hear it here. Uh, well, I mean, it does seem a little panned to the left. I it can... does? It's in the right earphone, but I can hear it. We're addressing a That's problem all... that affects nobody else, by Sorry, the way, because people. this is all squashed down into mono by the time it comes out of the speakers. Well, it's really wonky because this is how we listen. Try potting it up a little bit. Pawn up the yeah, the mono bit. No, it's no you're right. It's panned to the left. Okay. Wait, I'm going to switch to the, another I don't pot. know what that's all about. It's probably there's... just... There we go. It's just the pot. Okay. Make a note of what channel that is, though, and we'll let Matt know about it. We'll it do. That and again, that is... We were just doing the most inside baseball <laughs> discussion ever. Talking about a sound bed that seemed like it was coming a little bit more out of our left earphone than our right earphone, which affects which totally... no one. It affects these the three people in this room, and that's it. Well, Tim's deaf, so it affects the two people. It affects... Tim doesn't even have his headphones <laughs> on. Even if Tim were not deaf, his headphones are sitting on the counter. Do you even have headphones? I do, yes. Okay, there they are. Well, I put them on if you it's going to be a great Monday. I can already I can tell. Just fine. Fantastic start to the week. It's 503-733-2970 today. Uh, you can also email. It's rick at uh, rickemerson.com in any event. All right, so here's what's coming up uh, today. we got uh, CNN Radio correspondent Ed McCarthy who will be joining us about, um, about the Rockies just being sent home to their mothers in four it's not even going to get sent back. They swept it in four. Uh, Boston did so. I just logged. Did you on. watch it? I no, watched it. I didn't. Wa- I didn't watch it. I saw a little bit of it on the on the TV, and then I was logging onto Google News last night, and I saw you know these Boston sweeps in four, and I just felt so bad. I mean, I'm not even really personally invested in it because I don't really care about sports. I'm not a baseball fan. I have no real reason to care about it except that it is a little piece of Americana. And I do feel for any team that went like 22 out of 23 and then just got crushed in the opening and then just got completely screwed in the next three nights as well. So, anyway, so sorry about that. Uh, we'll talk to Ed McCarthy, though, for a little bit of a... And I guess there was a riot, which is fantastic. There was some sort of looting or something? Yes. Where were they playing? It was in Colorado, wasn't it? I believe so. I'll check on what that. What kind of looting happens in yeah, Colorado? Like everyone wanted them to lose last night, but they go back to Boston and play again. But, I mean, seriously, I didn't think that they would... Did Colorado? in Colorado? They don't seem like a looting people. I missed that. Boston, yes. I can see the people in Boston just going, setting fire to a rail car for no real... I mean, just because it's Tuesday. Uh, but, I mean, what are you going to loot in Colorado? What are you gonna go? Gonna go break that and go steal a case of snowshoes? I mean, really, honestly, yeah, what, is, what is there even to steal in Colorado? Let's go get a kerosene lamp. Uh, well, anyway, so we'll talk to Ed McCarthy about that. Uh, Lisa Desjardins returns today from Italia, uh, so we'll uh, talk to her. Um, oh, and there's some. Oh, and the, the, have you seen that thing that Gerald Ford book that came out? So there's this book that has just been released that was interviews with Gerald Ford. This is fantastic. Interviews with Gerald Ford that he stipulated were not to be released until after he was dead. Uh, because he just, it was like a scorched earth campaign. He just reams everybody and anybody. So we'll talk to Lisa Desjardins about that. Uh, CNN radio correspondent James Roop and Living God, who apparently has still not taken a day off. That guy's been on, the, you know, when he does go on vacation, we're not going to see him for like a year because he's been on the clock for 21 days, 22 days, something like that. Uh, so Jim Roop is in Los Angeles, uh, where there's a little bit of Britney Spears news uh, as well. We will have a Britney watch coming up today. Uh, penis watch, a really disturbing corpse watch. I mean, like far more sore than normal. I mean, it, and you may you may have noticed that even though we use the same bed, this is the only thing, the only watch we do this with. Even though the bed is the same, sometimes it's a corpse watch, sometimes it's a grave watch. It, it all depends on at at what point in the story. Uh, outside influences begin to exert themselves upon the deceased. If if the story happened after they were in the ground, grave watch. Today's story, corpse watch. wasn't even in the box yet. Nah. It wasn't even in the box. Um, 
I think that's it. Uh, Peter Carlin. Did I say Peter Carlin? Peter Carlin. Yes. Will ju- Peter Carlin. Who have you read? Uh, have you read his column today? I have not. No. He's. I never thought I would say this. Peter Carlin has been turned around on the Cavemen series, which he now believes to be great. So. There you go. So we'll talk to him about that later on. Did you say Peter Carlin thinks the Caveman series is great? He has come around on that, or he's been paid off by ABC, or quite possibly both. The Caveman totally paid him off. Uh, He saved a bunch of money on his car insurance, and now he finds it to be a fantastic and sublime work of Noel Coward-esque wit. Uh, So Peter Carlin, Ed McCarthy, Lisa Desjardins, Jim Roop. Oh, we have a pair of tickets to Mistress of Reality, the the Chick Sabbath band uh, that's going to be about Tabor tomorrow. Uh, Corpse Watch, Penis Watch, Britney Watch. Uh, our top five and uh, a huge pile of things here. Uh, we're joined today, as are we always, by the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon. How are you? So just when I thought that my dog couldn't get any grosser, yeah. he was <laughs> he ran into my room last night and he was all growly and being weird. I'm like, what's going on? I pick him up, something falls out of his mouth. It's a dead mouse. <laughs> oh. On my floor. Oh, mommy's little monster. Oh, it was so gross. I couldn't even look at him. I last brought night. you a present. No, I and I know it was a present for me, and it was the grossest thing okay, ever. Okay, so let's stop now. I have to hear every detail. And I, of this. I, I made him sleep in his kennel last so night. So where, where were you, this is your your house? So now, what? Where was he? Where were you? How did you discover this? I let him outside, and he was like running around in my backyard. And I went to my bedroom, and I sat on my bed, and he came running in. And I couldn't tell there was anything in his mouth. I'm like, I love it, and I picked him up. And he was a little growly, and I was getting a little irritated because he doesn't ever growl at me. He growls at other people. I'm like, what's what's your deal? And then I heard this little thump, and I looked, and there is <laughs> Mouse. Look what I brought you. Laying on the ground. <laughs> I thought oh, only cats gross. did that. I don't. Because, you know, you know cats will freak. do that. Cats will bring home. Cats are just such evil bastards. Cats will they will bring home some sort of present for you, like a treat. I don't know if cats think they're paying the rent or something, or if it's just if it's sort of a uh, Cain and Abel burning sacrifices to Jesus or you know God. It's been, but cats will come home and look. I brought you this sparrow without a head uh, because they think that you want it. So uh, and so what did it, it was just a little baby mouse. Now let me oh. ask you. Of course, was it pink and hairless? Um, no. It was... Gray and small. Was the uh, now? What, had he killed the mouse, or do you I think he found know. a dead mouse and brought it to you? It looks a little deflated. <laughs> Muppet, it was so... Muppet seems like kind of a lazy dog, so it seems like no, maybe he just—he's pretty—he's a little terror when it doesn't seem like Muppet could catch a mouse though. That seems unlikely. Yeah, his eyesight's kind of bad. Well, and just mice are really fast, and dogs are just—dogs have difficulty catching, especially that kind of a dog. Yeah, uh, have difficulty catching anything fast, so he probably found a dead mouse. And, you know, put put your needs before his. And thought that you would want it. That's great. Wonderful. Way to it go. It was disgusting. Just never let him kiss you on the mouth again. No. Well, I never <laughs> let him kiss me on the mouth anyway, but last night I was just so grossed out by him. He slept in his kennel. Get out of my sight. I'm like, no, I can't even look at you I right can't now. even look at you today. I couldn't. That it was horrific. so wrong. Yeah, well, like Max does that thing of trying to trying to chase birds and squirrels. And I, I was asking last week. I said, well, are they just trying to be territorial, or do they really want to catch the thing? Because he's never going to do. He's never going to catch a bird for obvious reasons. And the squirrels are like half of the tree before he even really notices them. But I did get an email from a guy that said that that his dog actually was really skilled at sneaking up on squirrels. And every so often, uh, he would let the dog out for a run, and he wouldn't be paying attention, and the dog would trot back to it with like a big dead squirrel in its mouth. So. That is really revolting. It was really, really wrong. Fantastic. Hi, Tim. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Do you have any stories of deceased animals to share with us today? Well, there isn't very much inside of a mouse anyway, so they're, they're not too difficult to flatten out. It's sort of an empty pinata. Yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was flat. It was very weird. I heard this little thud, and I look, and there's this Well, they're mostly mouse. fur. I mean, how much could the Lord put inside a mouse to keep it going? <laughs> 
<laughs> that really is true. No, they they have like one thing inside of them, and it's run, one hat, run, <laughs> one moving part. They are sort of like hamsters in that way too, mm-hmm. where like a hamster doesn't even really exist. It is sort of just what is that creature Gossamer in the Warner Brothers cartoons? He's just tennis shoes and fur. Uh, hamsters are basically just eyeballs and fur, and that's that's really it. So, well, all right. Tim Riley's working on the following stories for your edification today. Yes, a pilot and passenger survive a plane crash into the Columbia. A crazy naked teenager is tasered during a rampage in Ridgefield. Excellent. Another teenager is found hiding in the bushes following the robbery of the Clackamas Food Market. <laughs> I've shopped there before. Uh, uh, well, now, now there's nothing left. I'm... Uh, a hot dog eating champion devours 103 mini burgers. The Red Sox win the World Series. Ooh. Porter Wagner is dead. Uh... And uh, because we're in radio, we're, uh, we have to put together uh, silly Halloween sound effects, so I'm working on those. Please, please. Oh, okay. That's enough for now. Well, okay. As long as I'm working on it. So please don't play Monster Mash. Please. I, I, I did I, not do that. I beg of you. I gave you a choice whether you. or not you wanted to use it. With everything not. in me, I beg of you. It's not my decision to make. Talk of the master recording of that song going to be shot into the sun. And I really do like, uh, I mean, you know, Bobby Pickett really was. You know, Fat Boy can do that entire rap. You know, the whole, the, the hounds of hell, that whole Vincent Price thing. That... We should bring him in and have him do it later. Later on. All right. Uh, what else is coming up today? Well, that's going to talk about the uh, Storm Large uh, performance. I will recap Cabaret here in just a second. We've got phone calls about dead mice, uh, a big pile of a big pile of stuff uh, from this weekend to get to. I do want to make a little announcement today. Uh, for no readily apparent reason, all of our return bumper music today will be variations on the song Hit Me Baby One More Time. Uh, none of them by Britney Spears, all of them fantastic in their own way. Uh, so all return music today will be versions of Baby One More Time as made famous by Britney Spears. So, uh, but without further ado, I should say this. We've got some phone calls to get to. Uh, we gotta, we'll got to. we try to break a little early here to sort of get caught up on things. Um, I say that now knowing it will never happen. We did go to see Cabaret last night, so first of all, our thanks to, uh, to Tom at Portland Center Stage and Storm especially, who gave us the hookup of that. How freaking fantastic was that? It was uh, freaking fantastic. As I think we all knew it would be. I mean, we kind of knew it would and be And as great. I told you, it was. Yeah, I mean, everybody, uh, you know, and everybody I know, people who, who are uh, very into theater, people who are just fans of Storm, people who just had heard about it, uh, you know, and as Storm put a lot of pressure on herself uh, to, you know, to get it right, because I know that, they, you know, I, as she said in that Willamette interview, she was kind of, you know, felt a little insecure about it and wanted to do a good job, and it really, she's, I mean, she is fantastic, but they're all fantastic, and not to take anything away from Storm, but every, there's not a weak link uh, in, the, in that play. I I mean, it's great. Uh, the, the, the art direction, and I'm not even a really guy, uh, a guy that can really appreciate that kind of stuff. But I mean, these the aesthetic, revolving stage. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is beautiful. And I, it's been a long time since I've seen the film. Uh, I mean, I did probably a decade at least since I've seen the movie Cabaret. So I don't, and I, and I never saw it on the stage before. So I don't have anything to compare it to. I do feel like we are. Q gayest statement of the day. We are living in a post Moulin Rouge era, though. So I do believe that that the the Moulin Rouge aesthetic does sort of trickle into a lot of theater now. And maybe that's the case with Cabaret. Maybe it's not, but it really was. And I look, I'm no prude, but I don't really recall the, the film version of Cabaret being quite as overtly uh, greasily sexual uh, as the play we saw last night. And Nate Baker, who was with us, it was myself, Laura, Tim Riley, and our good friend Nate Baker. Nate made the great observation because we saw it Sunday matinee. We saw it at 2. And 
that the audience was like 80% oldsters. I mean, it, I would get probably eight out of ten people there was over the age of 65. And then, of course, and then this is Nate's observation about it. This is not my assessment, but Nate, make, Nate uh, Baker made the following observation. He said, he said, you know, this audience is all senior citizens, and they're watching, like, the skankiest thing that's ever existed. Because <laughs> it's all just, like, greased-up men and women sort of gyrating on one another and storm-giving a guy a lap dance and a whole lot of... Which is all great, by but, the way. But it must be remembered that these people were a part of the madman generation. It is true. No, that's true. That's right. They did live through that. Mm -hmm. So, and, and how um, incredible was the guy who played the MC? Wade McCollum? Oh, yeah. my yeah. God. Yeah. I think we probably say that for different reasons, but he really was great. Oh, well, he made me dreamy. made me feel inferior about myself in almost every conceivable way. He had those full-on Spartan 300 yeah, so muscles. Yeah, talking I'm, about him. He just does yoga like all day. Well, every seriously, day. at a certain point, like when he, it's just not to get off into the cabaret thing, but I mean, and it is. I think this is the final week. I think they're going into the final 10 days or something. So if you haven't seen it. Uh, you really ought to see it. It's great. And I don't care whether you're into theater or not, or whether you're into musicals or not. It's just entertaining. It really doing is great. anything, like getting out of the house and going and seeing something beautiful. It really is. It, it is fantastic. And I'm, again, I, I'm not a, like a huge uh, guy for the theater. And but being at the theater is always a memorable experience. It, it is wonderful. Yeah. I appreciate anything when it's well done. Uh, and it really is just fantastic. But but I, and I won't give any spoilers, of course, but but when the guy, there is a narrator, uh, or narrator, as uh, the guy, would, as uh, McDowell would say. Um, or but when, when Wade McCollum comes down on stage as the MC, and he is again sort of the, the host, narrator, MC throughout the evening. I'm a big fan of that. Um, I'm a big fan of that mechanism when it's used in plays or movies or whatever. Sort of the impish, sort of mischievous narrator, uh, sort of a Midsummer Night's Dream kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And he really is great in, in that regard. He's fantastic. But when he first comes out, he is wearing like sort of white boxer short things, suspenders, lots of glitter, and nothing else. Uh, and I actually was like sort of staring. I know how this sounds, but I was sort of staring at his like the six pack or whatever the abs, and I was sort of looking, going, real, fake, real, fake. And the only reason I was wondering if they were fake is just because he just seemed too impossibly well toned to really be a, like an oh, actual human being. Oh and then, man! But then he introduces well, his six other smile and like perfect skin and like that makeup on him, like all the glitter and stuff. He's just. And then he, but oh. then, but then he introduces like the six other. Uh, male dancers from the Kit Kat Club, which mm -hmm. is the club in the play. He's like, and now My you know, was John. the boys of Kit, and they come out, and they all look like him. It's like they've all been cast out of a, out of a Wade McCollum mold. And I'm just sitting there in the audience, you know, just my pants all tight and all flabby and just sitting there all spongily in my seat, <laughs> realizing that I just had four pounds of nachos the night before and haven't ridden my bicycle in like a year. Uh, and then they bring out the hot chicks, which is which is great as well. So anyway, it really is. I don't want to make it sound like some flesh fest, but it really is a great uh, piece of theater. You got to check it out. that she'd bring Wade in, and I really don't want her to because I'm really nervous to meet him. He's very dreamy. Yeah, welcome to my world. See, now what? It, now, now you know what it's like to be me and to feel that way about, like, every time I meet any woman. Just sort of, uh, hello, my name is Rick. I'm sorry. Uh, so, anyway. So, go see Cabaret. Uh, tickets are probably still available. But then, I mean, this is the final week, so it's probably going to go fast. So, go. You, you, you have to see it. It's great. Uh, can we, do you think it's all right to talk about how you can get last-minute tickets? I don't. Well, I don't have any financial investment in it. It doesn't matter Actually, to me. Do I. All right. So, you guys, so the tickets are really expensive. 
But if you get there between, like, well, they're not all really expensive, blah, blah, blah. But if you get there between 7 and 7.30, they're trying to fill in seats a lot of the time. And well, you can get tickets yeah. for, like, 10 bucks. And sometimes there's, like, back row. And they're not, not they're like, the best seats. But not I guess the best, there's, like, I mean, they're they're like, back row seats that you can get for just a, just a few bucks for, yeah, you, you know, what you would normally just pay. Just a few so. bucks. And, and the theater is nicely awesome. set up. It, it's, it's a, a beautiful back place, too. No, that venue is really great. I'm going to actually go again this week. I'm just going to head down and see if I can get yeah. an extra ticket and just go see it again. And, uh, yeah, so it's just, anyway, so that's, you know, I'm not going to keep running on the mouth about something you may not have seen. But, but Cabaret with Storm Large, really, and I told Storm and to stop in sometime storm. this week. It's great. Oh, yeah, and that's the thing is, it's yeah. not. She really is. I know that she was concerned about pulling off uh, the, the disappearing into character, and she really does a, a great job. But they're all fantastic. Everybody yeah. in it is great. And the orchestra uh, was fantastic as well, because that music is all, that's the other thing, it's all live. Yeah, they have uh, live musicians the there. Orchestra pit, the orchestra pit, live musicians in black tie. I mean, it's just beautiful. So, anyway, so there you go. I have no time now to talk about to talk about all of this crap from this. I had just had the weirdest weekend, um, but I don't even know. Well, I got about six minutes before we have to break here because we're not taking a guest till forty. So, um, well, let's get these calls before I talk about my strange weekend. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey, Rick. I just wanted to make a comment about uh, Sarah's uh, deflated mouth. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, didn't, maybe we should take her to the opera deflator mouth. The what? Deflator mouth. Is it's an a... actual. It's an actual opera, but they mention it in uh, kind of a one percent joke. They mention it in um, all rest. Okay, I'm, I, I feel bad that I'm not getting the joke, and I don't, I'm not knocking you, sir. I'm just saying you called up and waited on hold a long time to make the cheese house, and then uh, you yeah. know I'll take her out to an opera, possibly deflate her mouse. Deflate mouse. All right, yes, I know. Yes. Okay. I understand that. I'm just saying I feel bad that your joke isn't really hitting any of the targets here because none of us are really opera enthusiasts. But I, I appreciate your spunk. Well, sir. neither am I. All right. I, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. That was a Mallrats joke. I know, but I've only. Can I just tell you this? I've only ever, uh, I've only ever I've watched. I've talked about Mallrats more in, in the past two days than I have in my entire life. I've only ever watched the Mallrats the regular way once. Every other time, I just watch it with the commentary because it's like everybody and they're all drunk. Um, it's so much better with the commentary because I'm not a big fan of the film. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey, Rick. That guy's the best caller ever. Yes, thank you. Hey, uh, Sarah, what breed is your dog? He's a um, a terrier slash I think a Lhasa Apso. Yeah, see, the terrier is uh, a rodent dog. That's part of their job. And you're going to really confuse him by punishing him, by putting him in the kettle for doing something that he was built to he's do. He's just no, as no, God made him. I wasn't punishing him. He, he usually I, he sleeps in his kennel at night. That's why I'm like, and sometimes he'll sleep in my bed, but I just couldn't let him but sleep. He knew, was, he knew it was a punishment. So next oh, time he does something like accurate. that, you, need to, you, you really need to bite um, the Hold on, hold on. Let okay, me add, hold on. Just let's, let's stop. When did he, how much time passed between when he brought you the mouse? Hours. So he doesn't know anything. He doesn't know. No, it wasn't. No, he, I didn't stick him in his kennel. If you do something after. more than thirty seconds later, they have no idea it's a punishment. No, it was, those it was dogs are monsters and ratters. Exactly. Ratter. And, and you need to praise him next time he does that, Ew. or he'll go nuts. And then he'll start bringing you children. Yep. Yeah, or chew your. He'll chew up some three hundred dollar Italian shoes for you. Right. Yeah, they were trying to do that job. Thank you, sir. In the. Uh, the squalid East End of London back really? in the old days. Yes, I didn't know that. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. No, that's the thing. It's like sometimes I'll get home. Uh, you know, I'll, you know, I'll get home at whatever six, seven at night, and Max has destroyed something over the course of the afternoon. Like I left a box of tea bags near the edge of the counter, which is a mistake, and he pulled Max them down. Eats everything. No, and he systematically opened every one of the hundred tea bags and spread the tea bags and their contents all over the house. Spread the tea bag is a great phrase, by the way. Uh, but he spread the tea bags all over the house. 
And it's like, I was angry, but what can I do? You can't discipline him six no. hours later because he's just going to think you're, you, you know, you're punishing for no oh, reason. I don't even think I was punishing him. I wasn't punishing him. He was just grossing me out. Oh, yeah, no, it's just, it's just revolting. Dead. No, he sleeps in his kennel like almost every night anyway, yeah. but I just, no. It's you know, like his little dead mouse well, and near it's my like, face. Uh-uh. And it's like some of those dogs, now Max does not do this, uh, but you know, there's some of those dogs who, uh, they eat the filth. Muppety poop, too. Yeah, see, and it's like I... I can't, I can't get with that. My think, dogs aren't allowed to. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, if I saw that, it would just, yeah, the dog is defective and has to go back. The dog has to go back to the store. Okay, um, here's another thing that I'm not going to have time to get to right now, but, I, but I'm saying it out loud, Sarah, so that you will remember and remind me. Um, yes. Do you remember there was all that awkwardness with Brooke Binkowski, who was the CNN correspondent last week that everybody kind of loved? With her and Yeah, and so one of our listeners, uh, Janice, took it upon herself to send Brooke Benkowski a MySpace message telling Brooke how much I loved her, you know, you know, and then and then Brooke had it, whatever. But so she she heard me talking about it, and so she has now sent me the entire conversation back and forth. So Ooh. I now have I have a transcript of what she sent to Brooke on my behalf, you know. So because she had not enclosed that originally, so we have to get to that later on. Um. Uh, uh, what? All right, nothing. I'm just, I'm just thinking about. I just had the weirdest, the weirdest weekend. I, uh, I don't even know if I should get started. Please Wait, do. Does that have to do with that Halloween party you went to on Saturday? Let's not identify, by the way. Preemptively, I'm saying this. Let's not identify where any of the Halloween parties were that I went to. Okay, well, I'm glad you told me now. Yes. I almost said exactly <laughs> I was just, where it was. I was just oh, say. you mean so and so's Halloween party? Uh, well, there were two. I went to two different Halloween parties. <gasps> oh, okay. One at a place. One at a house. Okay, tell me oh. about the place. Uh, I went to a Halloween party. I went to two Halloween parties on Saturday night, um, which is that that'll hold me for like a, like a year. Now I never need to go anywhere ever again. Um, I went to one which was at a uh, well. I'll put it this way: I won't specify where for reasons that will become obvious. Uh, the first Halloween party on Saturday was at a mortuary, uh, which was badass. I have to say, it was one of. And I'm not a party guy, as you know. I'm not the. I'm not a guy who goes out and hangs and, you know, chills with people at gatherings. Uh, but it was at a mortuary, and it was fan freaking tastic. It was really great. And I don't want to identify the mortuary, not because the owner doesn't know. The owner obviously was there and helped to decorate. But I. I don't want to maybe color the image of the place to the public. Yeah. Um, so I will not identify what mortuary it was, but there was a mortuary that threw a Halloween party, and it was so freaking cool, man. You went there. First thing you see when you go in, first of all, you drive. You know, we get to the party, and there's the mortuary, and it's all lit up with orange and uh, red lights, and then you just see people in costumes sort of all around the mortuary. So it was really surreal to begin with, and it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. You walk in, huge coffin filled with beer, just a huge coffin filled with ice and beer, and then in the um, chapel room where there's rows and rows and rows of, of pews, and then there's the huge screen where they show, like, you know, whatever, film about the, the the deceased. You know, when you're at a funeral, they'll show, like, a home movie, maybe, showing Night of the Living Dead. So you walk in, Night of the Living Dead is playing in the chapel, and you see all of these people dressed as zombies and Halloween costumes sitting in the chapel watching Night of the Living Dead. It was so unbelievably surreal. They had, like, the big screen Nintendo Wii set up at one point, and they were playing, like, House of the Dead or That's whatever. That's so weird. I went to a similar party, not in the... Um in a mortuary, but 
I went to a Mad Max theme party where they really? set up the backyard to um, totally look like Mad Max and Redwire and stuff, and then they had a huge screen yeah. in the back playing. It and was, everyone was dressed like that. It was fantastic. Uh, it just walking around, and then they so they showed two films. They showed Night of the Living Dead, and then uh, the other one was a you Grindhouse Planetary. I didn't stay there for the whole thing, uh, but after Night of the Living Dead, they gave a mortuary. They gave a tour of the mortuary, um, which was it was just really cool, and they had great you know great music going on. There's great food. It was it was it really really was uh, fantastic. Um, and so, anyway. So what happened? So I will not, um, I won't identify where the second party was. So the first party was at the mortuary. It was at a party. And it was awesome. So the mortuary yeah. was great. Uh, we went to the second party, and, uh, which was just, which was also, uh, yes. Okay. Um, just odd. Okay, well you've got um, to just spit it out. I'm you just can't keep I'm trying that. I'm just trying to decide how You already how to, by how you opening this. your mouth in the beginning, you I've already com- chose I've to committed. speak about this. I'm pot committed as they yep. say in poker. Um I'll just say uh, here's a couple of highlights if you'd like to call them that. This other party we went to. First of all, everyone was drunk. Uh, everyone but myself, as is always the case. So everyone there. And I, oh yeah, and I mean full on screaming. Walk in the door and they hand you a double shot of whiskey. Drunk. Everyone was unbelievably drunk. Here are some highlights. Um, there were uh, some people there who um, were just just divorced and drunk. <gasps> there were some people there who were. Uh, had just been broken up with and were drunk. There was, there was, I, I believe, a breakup that actually happened at the party. Oh damn! Like, really? Actually, actually, during the party, there was some sort of, some sort of breakup that actually transpired during the event. And then it was also, it was doubling as someone's birthday party, and she was actually drunk and unconscious before anybody even got there. <laughs> Spent the entire night passed out in her room. Are you kidding? No. So there you go. So it was sort of a many splendored night in an awful kind of way. How long were you at that party? It was just drunkenness, divorce, breaks up, breakups, unconsciousness. Um, a long time. Oh. For what seemed like were an eternity. You, were you consoling <laughs> people in the corner? My wife was actually doing that job. Yeah, uh, I can listen to you, Carrie. I was trying to. I was, I was just trying to look around and just sort of wonder how it is that I came to be there. I'm not saying it wasn't a good time. Sort of. <laughs> That's a great look. <laughs> well, I mean, when the stage was set for the evening, we walked in. We're like, "Hey, we're so and so. Isn't this uh, her birthday party as well?" Yeah, she started early. She's uh, she vomited and passed out. Like nobody even saw her. Uh, she might be dead for all I know. She might not even. They might have buried her in a shallow grave. No, someone else. Um, yeah, we never even saw her. Because, and like I to tell you this, the party started early. But still, by the time everybody got there, she was already passed out and did not wake up. Like, I, uh, we left late. We left late at night, and she had still never been seen by anybody. So, yeah, so the birthday girl passed out unconscious for the party even started. Divorces, re- the recently broken up with, and the actual breaking up, all fueled by liquor and hate. So, you know, so I had both the yin and the yang on Halloween. It was um, on my Halloween party, which is Saturday. I had a great costume, though. What were you? Uh, what did you go as? I went as Mrs. Peacock from Clue. That's fantastic. Laura and I went as a pair of Mormon missionaries. You want to see a picture? Yes, more than anything. You went as a pair of Mormon missionaries? Yeah. Genius. And how sad that she just had all the stuff for those costumes just laying around the house. Oh, that's beautiful. That's a great costume. Thanks. That was really fun. All right. Um, I'm sorry. We have to break here. I, I don't want to break because I've got all of this other stuff. Oh, except for this, except for this one tiny observation. You know what I saw on the highway this weekend? 
I saw a sign that said, coming up in half a mile, exit one. And I thought, you never see exit one. Well, that's down near the California border, right? It's always like exit 289. It's just weird. You just never see exit one. Were you down near California? I'm not going to say where I was. All right, we have to break. Back after this. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Don't go anywhere. Those guys, I know that a lot of people don't, but they're just, um, I don't know, they're, they're just rocking enough to pass muster. Yeah, it's all uh, baby one more time, all the time today. 503 733 ladies and gentlemen. Baby one more time. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. Only Ed McCarthy. Hello, sir, and how are you? Rick, Rick, how are you today here? Swept in four, baby. Isn't that something? Well, you know, I, I thought last night that the, the Rockies were going to come back the way things were going there. No, no, and, there's and, no coming back for anybody. There is a one-way exit to nowhere. And it's a one-way ticket from Denver to Atlanta, and Boy, I'm on it right now. And i got to tell you, man, it, 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 I know that this is what everybody is saying, but it has got to be the hardest come down in quite some time that those guys go 21 for 22 or 22 for 23, and then that opener, they get crushed 13 to 1, and then it was just, that's got to just that's got to just break the spine of the team right there. That probably just put the nail in the coffin. I mean, it just, you know, how do you even come back from that in, a sense, in, the, in the morale sense, you know? Well, but, you know, it's true. They kept talking about, you know, maybe they're tired, you know, or not tired. They had eight days rest, but maybe they're just, you know, rusty because they're not, uh, all the mechanics aren't there when you get all that time off. Boy, if I had eight days off, I'd be pretty sharp. How about you? I was just going to say, to what extent do you think, I mean, do you think that that nine days off really was the, the turning point? Do you think that if they had just rolled, if the Rockies had just rolled into the series fresh off that streak, that this would have been different? Well, it could have been. I mean, it really could have been, but I mean, it, you know, it's, it was tough. I mean, they, maybe they should have waited, lost a couple of games in that thing if, if that had gone that way. You know, and uh, the other team had beaten them, like the Phillies had beaten them a couple of games. Yeah. Hey, and then it, uh, go ahead. I'm just going to say, I, I know you're, you're kind of under the gun time-wise. So I'll get, but I do want to ask about this riot thing. So, so tell me, tell me, I, you really don't associate riots with the World Series, I guess, and especially not, uh, you know, it, not in that city. I, I just don't, because that was Colorado, uh, where I don't even really know what there is to loot there. I mean, what is there really even to riot about in Colorado? Well, actually, they're okay here. Uh, it, that was back in Boston that oh, they went nuts. Oh, it was okay. Well, so the so the riot was actually in uh, Massachusetts, not in Colorado. That makes more sense because Bostonians. I mean, I can see Bostonians rioting just because you know I don't know, like it's like it's a Wednesday or something, it's, you know, for no readily apparent reason. They they get a little crazy up there, and it's a lot of the uh, the college kids, and they're having a good time. And uh, you know, you see anything wrong with flipping a couple of vehicles over? <laughs> Who hasn't done that in their life, at McCarthy? Good, good clean fun now. Come on, all right. They're, they're, they're Red Sox fans. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna let you. I'm sorry. Just I got a, a couple different things happening. Uh, so I'm gonna let you get on your plane. I know you're headed back. Uh, you were, are you on tomorrow? Are you off for a few days? Well, I'm gonna be actually off, but I'm gonna have like a working day. So we'll probably talk to you on Wednesday or whatever because we got all this Halloween stuff to talk about. All right. So travel safe. We will talk to you Wednesday. And I'm glad the uh, glad Boston was able to uh, to nail it for you, friend. I know that you are. Uh, I know that your heart was with them. So I'm glad your team took it home. I was pretty darned excited. Right. I gotta tell you that, Rick. Thank you, sir. All right, uh, uh, Ed McCarthy, ladies and gentlemen. All right, are you in a weird hum? You gave him the hustle. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm not trying yeah, to give him the hustle. I do two things. A, I got a weird... Well, technical things are distracting. I got a weird thing. Oh, see, now it's gone. I had a weird thing in my writing, and I could hear uh, them paging. I think they could hear the flight actually being paged in the background. So I think he was getting ready to get on That's a plane. That's creepy. How did you hear that? Didn't you hear that? Because he was, like, didn't no. he say he was getting on a plane? Oh, I don't know. I thought he said he was getting on a plane, and then I heard, like, a... I'm boarding, and I... Yeah, you looked really distracted all of a sudden. Yeah, well, it was that and the combination thing. No, it's just... your instant karma for making fun of me for my hearing. Totally. No, and it wasn't even you. It was the, it was the pot on the board. No, I was certainly not trying to hustle him off the phone, but he he actually sounded like he was sort of... He was, rushed. You know what it was? It was like that scene where like the guy is on the phone as he's packing for the vacation. He's like, okay, we'll just put it with the other files. I got to go. No, I gotta, I'm going to miss the train. No, I'll see you on Monday. Bye. You know, so that's totally what he sounded like. Um... All right, so now I've received an email from at least uh, one other person who was at the party who said that he was also sober. So apparently I was not the only sober person there. This, uh, this email says, uh, by, the way, by the way, Rick, I was sober as well at the party, uh, which you will not name. I have to agree that it was an odd evening, what with the clown attacks and so forth. The okay, clown so here's, attack? Here is the other thing. And again, just to clarify, I went to two different parties on Saturday, so I don't want people to conflate the two. I went to this first party, which it was uh, at a mortuary, which really was, I cannot overstate. I'm not trying to knock party number two. They're two very different kinds of gatherings. I'm just saying I cannot overstate the coolness of a Halloween party in a mortuary. I'm surprised that, that, I, that I've never sort of thought of that. Um, so at party number two, where there was the drunkenness, the divorcing, the breaking up, the passing out, uh, the vomiting, the and the constant... Um, the constant uh, exhortations from one of the hosts to keep our voices down because the neighbors were complaining, so that was a lot of fun as well. Also this... That's and why I don't have parties, because I'd be that annoying person. And I'm trying very hard to keep all the names and identifying characteristics And you're this. not even telling me, which is totally frustrating. I'm like, all right, come on, let's tell me. I let's see, me I can't... Break. No, it's not my place to say. I... I it is not my place to, to give uh, details, and I, again, no, you know, and I respect you for that. Normally, I'm you not know, really. normally I don't have any problem. Normally, I'm fine coming on and go. And then I was at Dave's house, and guess what happened there? But I, I should not identify the the, the participants in the story, for reasons that I think are, are very clear. Um, but I will say this: here's the other terrifying slash great moment from Halloween party number two on Saturday. I wish I could identify the people in this anecdote, but I can't do that either because that would okay, sort of. This is just getting. I'm just saying. It would be funnier if I could tell you who it was. Um, I'll tell you. Okay, hold on. I, I'll tell you. I'm gonna. Okay. So there's someone we know okay. who, who was playing uh, playing Guitar Hero, uh, and just sort of you know do, doing his thing and just trying trying to trying to play Guitar Hero like as as best he could, and he's terrified of clowns. So this this guy is trying to play Guitar Hero. He's terrified of clowns. So another male attendee at the party, uh, a guy who was there, who was not me, by the way. I simply observed this. Another guy at the party had his girlfriend at the party pull down his pants and underwear and draw a gigantic clown face on his buttocks. Are you serious? I am serious. I am not making this up. This is a party number two. 
Um, well, I didn't think it was party number one. Well, who, who's to, no, the, the, you know, the thing is, the mortuary party was actually very low-key. It actually ended around 1230. At 1230, uh, our friend, uh, the guy who works at the mortuary, was sort of like, all right, thanks for coming out. Please leave now. And he, just, he, was, he was very great. He was, you know, uh-huh. he was like, hey, everybody's had a good time. Thanks for coming out. I got I to clean up. Um, you know, so, so please leave. So the mortuary party was actually very mellow. It was, it was a lot of fun, but it was really, you know, everybody's having a good time. Nobody's getting too wild. Yeah, but this, at this other party, there was a guy there who was really afraid of clowns. And so another dude at the party has his girlfriend pull down his pants and underwear and draw a huge clown face on his buttocks. you hang out with Rick Emerson? So, no, but, but that's not the payoff. So the payoff is this. Then as the other guy is playing Guitar Hero, the guy who's afraid of clowns, he's playing Guitar Hero. The other guy just pulls his pants in the living room where we're all standing. He pulls down his pants and just begins advancing like ass first at the Guitar Hero player who is afraid of clowns. And so imagine that. You're sitting there. You're trying to play Guitar Hero and trying to be a nerd. And you see some, you see an, a, a clown-covered ass just slowly creeping towards you across the living room. I'm glad you're having this conversation when Lisa's on hold. I'm just saying... It was. It's a reminder of why I don't leave home. That's just weird. It's why I don't go to parties. Because you think I it's going to be a good time, I'm... and then it's divorcing an ass clown. You know? It's just no good. Uh, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. Back from her exclusive three-year tour of Europe, Scandinavia, and the subcontinent. I meant to have, like, Valare or something appropriate here, but I, it didn't really come together for me. Lisa Desjardins. Hello, Lisa. Hey, guys. How's life? How are things? How was Italy? Oh, it's great to be back. It was fantastic. So we will probably uh, pump you for more details on that in the next couple of days. Are you on uh, this week, or are you back for a day I'm and off? I'm here your for the, right, for the long term. Excellent. Yeah, I'm here. So uh, probably tomorrow we'll kind of get the uh, the skinny from you on how it was up and down the boot. Where did you, because you were what, in just southern Italy? No, we, we started up in Venice, so up, up north, and then okay. went to Rome, and then went to southern Italy. Excellent. So, but it sounds like, I mean, you you do have that uh, just back from vacation glow to your voice. I will it, tell you. I, I tell you, I feel, and I, I am actually happy to be back, too. As a Catholic, I'm uncomfortable with the amount of happiness I've had in the last <laughs> month, and it's really good. And, you know, when I come back two hours after our plane lands, right. the Sox win the World Series. I couldn't believe it. It really is. It's good to be you. <laughs> no, no, you do. And, and, and now, did you, while you were there, you didn't see, uh, did you see any religious uh, artifacts? Did you see any religious sites while you were there? We did. We did the whole Vatican. I don't know if we talked about this, but Jason converted to Catholicism, God bless him, in the last uh, year. And so he, you know, he went to the mothership to St. Peter's. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, did, guess, that, did that mean he had to go to CCD classes? It's, it's the adult version, which was actually really cool because the people in our class were like these really interesting uh, African American people from Washington that like all walks of life. One's a playwright, and one, like really interesting adults. And it, oftentimes we would just veer into these tangents that didn't have a lot to do with the lesson of the day. So Fantastic. it was actually great. You didn't you didn't get a, I guess they only do that on the Jubilee, that doorway you can walk through that absolves your sins and sends you right to heaven or whatever the hell that is. <laughs> yeah. So. No. All right. Fantastic. Well, good. We'll see you. So there you go. By by dint of having gone to the Vatican, that does absolve you of some of the uh, you know of some of the debauchery that you made. That uh, let me just put it this way: that cancels out the gallons of wine you undoubtedly drank while you were there. Oh my gosh, we we were. There was one point where I was drinking a glass of wine and I looked at my watch, 11 a.m. <laughs> it was fantastic. I, it's, I, I will actually say this: uh, I was. We're running a little behind here, so I just okay. let, let me know at some point if you're going to have to bail. But I, I do want to tell you the story. So I was. 
Uh, you heard a little bit of this on hold. I was I went yes. to a couple of parties on Saturday, and at this indeed. Pr- the first party we went to, um, my wife, of course, had gone to Italy for three weeks earlier. Right. Um, and th- one of the girls that she uh, hooked up with in Italy for a while was there. Uh, they sort of met up for four or five days, and then they kind of went their separate ways again. But one of her travel mates was at this party. And two things. A, they were already pl- – let me ask you this. If someone, uh, you know, th- th- presumably was a rational person, told you that they were already planning their next trip – would you think that Nicaragua would be an interesting place to go to, or a place that maybe you'd like to avoid? I wouldn't. I, it would surprise me as a choice. Because yes. my wife is already plotting her next trip, and I swear to you, it is in fact to Nicaragua for reasons that just haven't really been adequately explained to me. So I don't know what that's all about. But anyway, so she was talking with this girl who had traveled with her in Italy, and large sections of their reminiscences did revolve around the fact that they would be sitting at you know the table at 10 a.m. already on their third glass of wine for the day. So, oh, it was fantastic, yes. Uh, and uh, I had something else to say. Wine, Nicaragua. Well, as a teaser, because we can talk about news, but I will tell you, I do want to touch on Kevin Costner, which was one of the more surprising aspects of our trip. We didn't meet him or see him, but there's some strange stuff going on about Kevin Costner. Okay, so I'm going to put a pin in that, and we'll talk about that tomorrow, Kevin Costner. Um, Let me ask you, are are you, and I don't know to what what, uh, extent you're sort of up to speed in a lot of this, because I know initially it was going to be Dick Uliano today, but are you, this Gerald Ford uh, thing that is coming out? So this is... Correct me if I'm wrong here. So this is a, a book of interviews with or, or uh, observations by Gerald Ford, but the whole deal was that it wasn't to be published until after his death because he just lays waste to everybody, <laughs> which is not a thing you really picture Gerald Ford doing. I'm not sure it's quite the the you know nuclear laceration that you that you see, but but you're right. He does he does say a lot more than you would have expected from I think one of our a man who's seen as one of our gentler presidents of the last century and the name of the book is write it when i'm gone and it's by a man named thomas defrank he is a newsweek reporter who got to know uh... president ford very well uh, covering him as president and vice president and all that he's a washington bureau chief now actually for uh, for the new york daily news that doesn't matter but he essentially spent years having conversations interviews with former president ford uh... going back before 2004, uh, I think it started actually in 1991 that these two have been talking off the record essentially. And then DeFrank convinced him, convinced the former president, let me write a book about this, but I'll only publish it after you're gone. Right. And so you're right. He does, in this book, uh, DeFrank says uh, that Ford didn't think that Dick Cheney should be on the presidential ticket this last time around in 2004, that Ford thought Cheney was a casual or, or actually uh, was a real negative for President Bush. and, and he, But he said he wasn't going to be the guy to force Cheney off the ticket. He, he liked Giuliani, this book says, that Ford liked Giuliani instead as vice president. But here's the deal. As you and a lot of your listeners know, uh, Dick Cheney was sort of – uh, Gerald Ford's baby. He was his chief of staff when they were in Congress and then, of course, moved along with him to the White House in that completely unexpected move that Gerald Ford made. Uh, and, and Ford had great love for Dick Cheney, but that love aside, he still thought uh, that Dick Cheney was a liability yeah. to President Bush. Dick Cheney's sort of a baby, a baby the way that Stewie is a baby on Family Guy, I suppose. <laughs> uh, and, 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 the, and that just shows what a misread on Dick Cheney I think Gerald Ford probably had. Dick Cheney, I do have to say this, he does seem like the guy that that 
when, you know, if he were to ever be removed or impeached or, you know, they attempt to kill him, he does seem like that guy that would just be holed up with the army surrounding him, uh, like Fidel, just, just refusing to leave the office. Do you know what I mean? Right, right. I would see Dick Cheney there just behind hundreds of miles of barricade, just refusing to be extricated by anything but the most extreme of force. So well, he, is, he is the bunker-bound member of the administration. He really is. Emergency. He heads to the bunker. I don't even see Dick Cheney around anymore. To be honest, if you were to ask me right now, if and I, again, I wish him only the best of health, but if you were to ask me right now if Dick Cheney was, was actually still alive, I wouldn't even really be able to tell you because I, I, sure. I don't even know where he is. He could be with Castro. Maybe those guys are hanging out. No, he, 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 is, he is here, and he is in good health, we're told. In fact, the most that we hear and see of him is when he has some kind of health checkup, um, especially dealing with the clot, small clot that was found in his leg recently, and they're treating that with medication, those kinds of things. But otherwise, I think it is no coincidence uh, that the president's numbers have been low for the last, very record lows for the last year. He got a new chief of staff. And during that time is also when we saw less and less of the vice president. You know, if Dick Cheney is still walking around, I suspect that it might be because they've actually removed all of his organic parts inside and just filled him with titanium and hate. He is just sort of walking around like Darth Vader at this point. Well, what's interesting is now we're actually seeing more of Lynn Cheney doing a few more interviews, a few more, uh, you know, stops over at uh, different uh, Sunday talk shows. But we're also seeing a lot more about of Laura Bush, and she just was on uh, Fox News Sunday this past Sunday talking about the children's health insurance bill and really getting into it on this you know, not, she's not just talking about uh, sort of the easier issues like, let's say, breast cancer or, uh, you know, Myanmar, Burma, you know, where everybody right. agrees. But she actually was starting to get into it on this really complicated issue that her husband uh, is having a hard time with, as is Congress. Here's a final note before we go, because we're, we're so amazingly over time, it's not even funny. Oh, but I'm I, sorry. No, 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 I will tell you this. Final note, and this is only because, uh, without you to talk to every day, no disrespect to Dick Leon or Bob Costantini, but they're not really the best recipients of my wit. They don't, uh, they don't, <laughs> as, as Robert Heinlein would say, they don't really grok me sometimes. Oh, um, oh, nice reference. Stranger in a strange land. Nice. It's what I do. See, that's another thing that I couldn't do with those guys. There just would be no point. So I will say this. That some, of my, uh, some of my jokes and observations have been sort of stockpiling, so I'm going to foist one more off and to be in the call. Um, if and when there is uh, like a final, um, you know, you know, like, like a, a, a good resolution, uh, a positive resolution to the Burma situation, right. the, daily, the Daily Show headline for that can be Burma Save. <laughs> Burma Save. See, it's like shave, but save. And, and they could have a number of signs. They would have. <laughs> that's see, see, that's why I like it because you take it one step farther. All right, I, I got to run. We'll talk to you tomorrow. We'll talk Italy. We'll talk other stuff. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Welcome back. Done and done. Great to there be back. Go. Lisa Desjardins, ladies and gentlemen. God damn, we're running behind. Hi, Tim. Are you preparing news for us? It's been ready for quite some time. Oh. But I do enjoy your Halloween story, so I. I hope there are more. I'm so sorry. No, don't be sorry. Would you feel better if I played the Monster Mash? No. All right, back after this is the Rick Emerson Show. Don't go anywhere. I still believe 
It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Today, all Britney, all the time. Uh, all our return beds will be variations on Baby One More Time. This is Fountains of Wayne, by the way. 503-733-2970. Ladies and gentlemen, here is your God now, Tim Riley. Time for the Rick Emerson Noon News Hour from AM 970 Solid State Radio. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. A plane crashes near the Bonneville Dam on the Columbia, and the two aboard survive. Now, this happened last night. Just east of Beacon Rock, Crucible, Noma County, and Scamania County in Washington both responded. The pilot, Douglas Nelson, told investigators he was flying low over the southwest end of the Scamania Island when he pulled up to gain altitude, and then the plane stalled and crashed into the river. He said the aircraft was experimental and home-built. Uh-huh. With just five gallons of fuel aboard. Wait, hold on, is he dead? No. Oh no, okay. no, no. In a plane, in a homemade plane, and he's not dead. That's a guy who ought to be counting his blessings right now and not building any more planes. Well, he must have used all the washers. <laughs> uh, Nelson and his passenger and nephew Scott Nelson, both of Gresham, were able to swim to uh-huh. a nearby shore and were picked up by a local fisherman. A homemade plane from Gresham. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really, honestly, I wonder what it was even made out of. I mean, how is it? Copper wire. Well, I would know, but I was just going to say, there's probably nothing metal left in that town that hasn't already been turned in for eight cents on the pound somewhere. Like one of those uh, popular mechanics things from the uh, from the 60s, where you're just like, would you like to build a hovercraft out of Campbell's soup cans and twine? Mm-hmm. Here's uh, Tim Riley. Well, a Ridgefield teenager has been arrested. He'll go to court today after neighbors say he went on a drug-induced rampage. Eric Naylor was running around the area naked, bleeding, and breaking windows. He was arrested and charged with burglary, but could face other charges. One neighbor heard strange noises and went to investigate. Naylor came at him in a crazed rage and was naked. And in another home, he hit a woman in the face and threatened a little girl. He also broke windows in cars and on a trailer. He was high on drugs, said the neighbors. It makes you think about locking your doors just a little bit more. Why are people still leaving their doors unlocked? And why are... Well, I was just going to say... Stop it. You'll get killed. You were actually By going... a naked, rampaging teenager. <laughs> Where was this? Uh, Ridgefield. You were going to go. See, you went one way. I was going to go the other way. You asked, why are you still leaving your doors unlocked, which is an interesting question. The other, I was just going to say. Stop trusting people. I was going to bring. That is the life lesson imparted by the Rick Emerson Show each and every day. Expect the absolute worst from humanity in all circumstances. I was going to go the other way about. I was going to break it down linguistically where she says, it makes you think about locking your doors just a little bit more. I was going to note that how can one lock one's doors a little bit more? Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a binary state. One's door is either locked or one's door is unlocked. So in Ridgefield, the Attention burglars, the doors are unlocked. Come on in. Just in case you'd like to know. It's, uh, he's infected with the rage virus. Uh, police were forced to use a stun gun to subdue him and take him to McKay. He was covered with blood, uh, possibly from cuts he sustained from broken glass. Do you think? Is a stun gun the same as a taser? A taser is probably a brand name. I've just answered my own question there. Don't call. No, I think uh, a taser shoots. Uh, no, the stun gun has a, uh, a beam, doesn't it? A death ray? Yes, <laughs> one of those a things. A beam. It has science. It's something that shoots like tentacles at you. No, you're thinking of Spider-Man. No. Well, maybe it's a Spider-Man gun. Well, one thing shoots tentacles at you. You're thinking of of when you subdue somebody with Japanese pornography. Hmm. Stay there, I'll shoot tentacles at you. Now, keep in mind, I've never used one of these devices. young girls. I've never used such a device or have been the victim of one, so I don't know Tentacle porn? Yes. Okay. Mm. No, I think... I maybe now see now we do need someone to clarify this. I do believe a taser is the brand name of the device generically known as a stun gun. I do believe that that's the case. Uh, I think a taser is sort of the Kleenex of the stun gun world. It's, it's, it's the name that everybody is sort of. But see now now that well, you one say of them it, actually shoots things at you. Well, one of them shoots those little prongy things, mm-hmm. and the other one though 
And looks see, like that thing out of the Ed Wood movie with the lightning coming out. Uh, uh, it looks like a Jacob's Ladder. That's what yeah. that's called. I know exactly what you're talking about there. So uh, the, the, the one with the little prongs that shoot out sort of... It, I don't think I'd want to use that one because it seems like that one could break pretty easily or maybe uh, you know one of those things gets caught or the guy just sort of grabs it and yanks it out or something. Well, anything that works on unruly naked teenagers. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, I guess I think I would want the one where you actually, you know, you like touch it to their skin or whatever. There's fewer moving parts to break it. Well, you know, we should get somebody. Hey, uh, Richie Bristol, we should look into this at some point. Uh, we should find uh, the PIO, who I think is Brian Schmouts, the public information officer for the police department of uh, Portland. We should have them come on and give us a breakdown on what they've got in terms of non-lethal weaponry. Because mm -hmm. it's like when that idiot woman was attention whoring with the gun by the Burnside Bridge the other day. I was just wondering why they didn't give her a good bean bagging. Yeah. That's bean bagging. Why didn't they give her a bean bagging? Uh, you know, they got the foam or they got the other uh, one. Non-lethal weapons are sort of like a... No, never mind. Anyway, uh, so I don't know why they didn't do that. They have that thing that shoots those rubber b bullets, and there's one that shoots, like, little ping-pong balls, balls full of, like, lead shot or something. So, oh, yeah. All right, here's Tim Riley. Then we have the 17-year-old accused of armed robbery, accused of robbing the Clackamas food market. <laughs> a passersby reported seeing a boy hiding in bushes. They also found discarded clothes, yeah. stolen money, a knife and a handgun, and a pile of leaves. Looks like he did it, doesn't it? So, uh, oh, here's something horrible. Uh, pedestrian's legs were nearly severed when the man crashed into two parked cars surrounding her last night. Yvonne Smith was standing between two parked cars, bad idea, oh, in no. North Portland, no. on North Chicago uh, Boulevard. When the pickup truck struck the car behind her, the impact sandwiched her between two vehicles, oh. crushing her legs. Oh, did she lose the legs? Yeah, she might, yeah, I nearly separate. Hey, did you hear... So let's get all the bad news done at once. Did you hear that, plenty of about another bicyclist being hit? No. Okay. Uh, I got something here. Um, Unless we went over it already. It, it's hard to keep track of these things. I know. Uh, Rick, page two of the Oregonian Metro section has a report of another dead cyclist hit by a car in Hillsborough Saturday evening. Oh, wait a minute. There was an accident in Hillsborough. Yeah. If you want to catch that's, that. That's exactly what it is. No, we'll factor that in. That's uh, Hillsborough. Uh, our signal reaches there, so it counts. Uh, the... Um, yeah, so apparently, in this, so that would, but that makes three in three weeks, unless mm -hmm. I'm missing something. That that's that's an no, average. No, that sounds about right. That is an average of one dead cyclist per week. Mm -hmm. I mean, am I? Is that a thing that we're only paying more attention to now because it's just sort of, you know, we're sort of attuned to it and so we're noticing it, or does that? There, there, we no, cannot average one dead cyclist per week, like in a regular year in this city. That can't possibly be the case. This has got to be so, more more than normal. This one happened in Hillsborough, Southwest Oak and Southwest 17th Street. Uh, let's see here. Uh, the driver of the car uh, noticed a bicyclist riding in the traffic lane, straddling the dotted line, separating the fast and slow lanes. That's a bad idea. Oh, that's a bad anyway. idea. As the cyclist got closer, the driver honked his horn and slammed on his brakes. The cyclist started turning left into the car as uh, he tried to avoid the crash. So he was in the wrong place at the wrong time anyway. Well, and don't... Uh, Jesus. And what kind of... What road was this? Uh, this was at uh, Southwest Oak and Southwest yeah, 17. Don't, yeah, don't drive between the lanes of traffic. I think the same He's thing... He's also wearing dark clothes. Of course. And not wearing a helmet. I see a lot of that. Uh-huh. Very difficult to see. He had no reflective gear or lights. Okay. Well, I think we can figure out the math on that. Hi, yeah. you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, so uh, I know the difference between the taser and the stun gun. Yes, go ahead. You sir. were right in thinking that taser is an acronym. I forgot the exact acronym. It's uh, something, something electro. 
Oh, so, 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 so now is Taser with a with? Let me ask you this: Is Taser spelled with a Z or an S? It is S. spelled with an S. An S. Okay, so it is in fact uh, an acronym like Scuba. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it's now just kind of a common name for the device that shoots the barbs connected to the wires. But a stun gun is that compact thing with the arc that you would go up. And, and you got to uh -huh. touch it to their skin, but you got to be close enough. The thing is, you got to be within yeah. swinging distance, which is why maybe they don't use those. What hurts yeah. more? Let me ask you this. Yeah, wait, what? Yeah, for, yeah. What hurts more, or is it, or is it the same? Well, I would imagine the taser probably does because it has higher voltages. I mean, come on, you're getting shot with two, you know, steel whatever barbs going into your flesh. And that was I'd rather have one of those. No, yeah. that was going to be my next question. Is okay. So let's let let's say that you're a cop and you got the taser that shoots a little barb things. Um, do, do those go through clothing? I mean, what if you're wearing like a leather jacket and the, and the cop tases you? Well, it probably wouldn't go through a leather jacket because the leather jackets are pretty thick. But generally, they try to hit the person in any exposed area. Like if the jacket's open, there it it'll go through like a regular coat or maybe a hooded sweatshirt. So, like, so those barbs yeah, will actually go through clothing. Light clothing, probably. That's how are they? This is fascinating to me because I'm a guy, and so therefore technology, especially anything that you know causes you pain, is endlessly intriguing. Oh, so, yeah. how are the barbs propelled? I'm not sure exactly how they're propelled. It it might be a like a, a CO2 kind of thing. It might either be compressed air or it might be something else. This is or, fascinating. Or it might be an electrical charge that fires it. Let me ask you this. Here's another question. Uh, and, and maybe this is beyond your realm of expertise. Uh, if, if so, okay, so let's say Sarah's over there, and she's, you know, give me the hairy eyeball. So I take out the taser, and I go, bam, and I tase her. Do, do the barbs stay extended, or do I have to reel them back in like a fishing line? Um... This is. It, it sounds like you, you may sort of kind of know a little bit. I may be asking questions that you're not really equipped to answer. If, if, if that's the case, I apologize. I'm just. It sort of. It, oh, no. it does because it, it makes me wonder. Like, can you use it a couple times in rapid succession? Well, I think tasers have separate charges for them, okay. and either you reel in it or or you just discard it or something, and then you pop in another charge. Okay, this is real. We have to go tase somebody. That's the only way we're going to be able to find this out. All right, thank you, my friend. Alrighty. That's uh, Connor. Connor. Here's Tim Riley. And then the uh, cops uh, caught this rape suspect, but not before some passers-by did, and beat the heck out of him. Oh, this guy is freaky yeah. looking, too. Look, that yeah. is, he looks like, uh, he looks like someone that, um... He looks like some laboratory test animal. <laughs> I was not going to say that. I was going to say it's not him, but I was going to say like he a, bears uh, more... A manimal. <laughs> I was going to say, um, I was going to say that he bears a, a little bit of passing resemblance to, um... A person who used to work in a building where we used to work. He does, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Mm -hmm. Oh, but you're thinking of somebody else. I know exactly who Tim's thinking of. Mm -hmm. Show the picture to Sarah. Sarah, does that look like somebody mm -hmm. that you maybe, uh, that used to work in a building where we used to work? Yes. Okay. Yes, it does. Mouth, mouth, mouth the name of me. Oh, see, that's who, no, 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 I was talking about. Or me, the other one. I was talking. Well, a couple of them. I was talking about him. Oh. Can I see that again, Tim? It looks, uh, this guy. Yeah, that looks exactly like him. Yeah. But it's not him. I'm not saying that we, the, well, that, the rape suspect is somebody we used to work with. I'm well, saying it looks a lot well, we like don't him. Know his real name. The name well, given to true. the police was Paul uh, Landigam, and he's 27. So, uh, yeah, hmm. he's bruised and battered right now, but he deserves it. Does it say it, where he worked? It does not, no. <laughs>
Well, he's not going to work today. <laughs> he's man, he's all messed up. Yeah. Not unlike the zombies. He's not in... allowed to go home. Yes, yeah, what do you think? Yeah. Uh, yes, not he's unlike not the Walking food. Dead in George Romero's films. He's all messed up. Yeah, they the cops or you said, but the cops didn't do that, right? Pedestrians or yeah. passersby. Good Samaritans. So what is the deal? So they so they caught him. Yeah. Uh, I hate this. It sounds so horrific. They did they catch him in the act of mm-hmm. yes. sexual assault? Mm-hmm. Or okay, and so they just gave him what for right oh, there? Yeah. Fantastic. You know what? Can I just say this? He can't even open his eyes. Good for him. Good for them. I am in favor of mob and vigilante justice sometimes, as I think we all are. I'll say that publicly. Sometimes a guy just needs a good ass whooping. There's just no way to get around that statement. So, uh, and you know, the cops probably took their time pulling the mob off of him too. Mm-hmm. Like you know, I mean, being a cop is just such a a, a, a thankless, uh, sucktastic job sometimes. Being a cop has just got to be one of the worst jobs on earth from from time to time. And well, so there's no limit to it. You know, potential criminals. No, I mean, it's just a bottomless well of yeah. filth around here. And so, you know, when you're a cop, you know that you just want to pummel people all the time. And and most cops, we should say, most cops don't. They resist the urge. But I'm saying, look, I, I, wanna... I wouldn't blame people if they do. Oh, no. I mean, look, I want to pummel people all the time. And I don't even carry a nightstick. And I don't even see hardened criminals every day. So if I just want to punch people all the time, I can't even imagine what a cop wants to do. So, But they can't, and they usually don't. But you know when a cop shows up and there is a rapist, or I'm sorry, alleged rapist, mm-hmm. um, and he's just being beaten senseless by an angry mob, you know the cops kind of, you know, they do some calisthenics, and they warm up, and they kind of do some stretching, and they take out their nightsticks real slowly, and they don't really go out of their way, probably, to pull the angry mob off of the guy who clearly had it coming. All right, anyway, here's uh, Tim Riley. Uh, two drivers who were seriously injured over the weekend in a two-vehicle crash on Highway 99 east south of Woodburn were more than likely both drunk. Both were seriously injured, so they deserve what they got, I guess. Uh, the man who oversaw public affairs for the FEMA fake news conference will no longer uh, be the head public relations fellow. Uh, Pat Philbin, we don't know if he's in a relation to Philbin, uh, Regis Philbin, FEMA's internal affairs director was scheduled to become director of public affairs, but he's not going to get that job after all. This after he held a fake news conference with fake reporters. Excellent. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. How's it going? What's up? Hey, those barbs on uh, most taser yeah. weapons. They are uh, projected by CO2 cartridge. So, now, if I shoot a taser at somebody, now, can you, A, do they stay extended or do they automatically reel back in? No, once you shoot a taser gun, you basically have to completely reload it. Well, that sucks. Well, what if I miss the guy? Well, then you're, you're screwed. You, <laughs> then you i got to shoot him. Then i got no choice but to shoot him in the head. Uh, yeah, most, a lot of cops nowadays, uh, if, they have, if they've been trained on a taser gun, they also have a stun gun with them. Yeah. Besides their, their, uh, their sidearm. Okay, so this is, I think this has made the decision. I am going to get a stun gun instead so I can repeatedly use it on someone. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, the, I, I do know that the, the previous uh, models, some of the previous models in their testing, they did use a uh, light charge in a 22 caliber yeah and but the uh, barbs did go a little too far into the flesh <laughs> just shocking your pancreas yeah so. maybe if you have to you just had to start saying clear before you hit the button fantastic <laughs> thank you sir you bet oh, oh here we go this is listen to this rick tasers the new model of taser is capable of penetrating two inches of clothing Oh, oh, that's creepy. Oh. Makes a great stocking stuffer. They, or you know, or a body stuffer. They uh, fire barbed tips into your flesh and then shock the crap out of you. <laughs> As it should. Says you can't reel them in, but on the upside, you can administer multiple shocks once the barbs are in the flesh. That is great. 
All right. This is, man, I am so angry that I've never seen a tasing of a suspect. i got to start hanging out on 82nd more often. Here's Tim Riley. There are other places to go. North Portland's another place. Yeah, I guess. And sometimes even Tiger. So uh, the big news, everyone in the world watches 60 Minutes, I guess, except for any of us. But it's still a big show. And last night, the president of France, like he's an important person, but apparently he is Who now. Who cares about the president of France, honestly? I know. Well, his name is Sarkozy, and uh, he walked out of an interview with that chick who interviews people after... Uh, that Leslie Stahl? Yes. Mm-hmm, after she asked questions about his uh, upcoming divorce. But when the Bulgarians gave the Sarkozy's a Medal of Honor in early October, Cecilia was a no-show. The day we interviewed him, Paris was buzzing with rumors that she had left him again. But ask him about it? How dare you? Since we've been here, it seems that every day we're hearing another story about your wife. What's going on? If I had something to say about Cecilia, I would certainly not do so here. But there's a great mystery. Excellent. Everybody's asking. No one's asking. Even your press secretary was asked at the briefing today. No comment? He was quite right to make no comment and no comment. Thank you. So he takes out his earpiece. decided the interview was over. And off he went. And he shakes her head. The question about his wife left hanging. Two weeks later, the Elysee announced the Sarkozy's were divorced, just like that. A first for a French president. Since then, no evidence that the end of Cecilia is affecting his passion and drive in his job. You know what bad tempers French people have. Well, and honestly, I mean, I'm not pretending that we're above gossip. We're of course we're not above anything. We no. are right in the thick of it all. But I mean, we're not 60 Minutes. Doesn't 60 Minutes as part of their? They, they, aren't they still the preeminent news show? I would say so. Yeah. And certainly on this, the Tiffany Network. Mm-hmm. But they are. I mean, CBS. They keep 60 Minutes on the air, even though. And I love 60 Minutes. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I mean, not like it has the ratings it used to. Um, but 60 Minutes is, is a prestige program. It is the New York Times of CBS television. Yes. So you would think that Leslie Stahl would not be asking those kind of questions. That does really seem tacky for 60 Minutes to do. So, well, good for him. He should have tased her while he was at it. Uh, we've got, uh, let's see. No, this is not a taser acronym. All right, okay. Here's uh, Tim Riley. Oh, so that guy who um, hit the woman with the parked cars and nearly severed her legs was high on drugs. So we just found that out. Not... Not that anyone should be shocked. It's North Portland. Does it say? Uh, does it? Does it say what kind of drugs? It doesn't. All right. But uh, well, use your imagination. By the way, apparently, uh, according to, uh, to to this person who's emailed me, removing the barbs hurts more than the actual shocking. Because uh, the barbs, they look like those um, one of those things called mollies or one of those things. They sink into into sheetrock. Yeah. So apparently, that hurts a whole lot. All right. Let's do one more, and then we'll uh, we'll take a break, and we'll be caught up. Well, let's do a, a corpse watch. A Fantastic. Double corpse watch. Oh, here's really? Yes. Excellent. Here's your corpse watch. Just in time for Halloween. I'm digging up bones. I'm digging up bones. Zooming things that's better left alone. I'm resurrecting memories of a love that's dead and gone. Yet I'm not sitting alone. Digging up bones. A woman who went to inquire about a nanny's job advertised on the Craigslist was found dead in the trunk of her car in Savage, Minnesota. Nanny! A body of Catherine A. Olson was found in her car. Uh, she was last seen by friends when she went to meet someone in Savage about a nanny's job. She found the ad on Craigslist. Wait, hold on, let's stop. 
the town was actually called Savage. Mm-hmm. I thought you were being sort of ironic. No, I'm not. Being ironic. Savage. Where's it? Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Uh, Minnesota. Minnesota. One thought, of the same thing. I thought it was sort of like saying, uh, you know, in Savage Akron, Ohio. But no, it actually is Savage, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. So she goes. Wait, what? So she goes to get a job or to interview a person to, who was going to be her nanny? No, she wanted to be a nanny. Okay. A 19-year-old savage man who police believe placed the ad on Craigslist is being held pending charges. Uh, they're confident that they have the suspect. A savage resident found Olson's purse in a garbage can. A police officer, thinking it may have been stolen, left a message in her home saying police had the purse. Olson's roommate called back to say Olson hadn't been seen since 8 a.m. Thursday when she went out for an interview. Rechecking the trash, they found a body containing a bloody towel. Uh, mm. Okay. Part two. Uh, she had taken nanny jobs at least twice before, including a job in Turkey by answering online ads. So you're safer in Turkey, I, I guess. I don't really think that I would take a job in Turkey based on a Craigslist ad, but maybe that's just me. A Gulf Coast man helped police find a grisly murder plot in which a man he met online allegedly planned to kill someone else and then have sex with a body. Oh. Yeah. 50-year-old Kevin Wade Daly of Citrus Springs at southwest of Oscala was arrested in charge of criminal solicitation to commit first-degree murder. The sheriff's officials say they were tipped off by a St. Petersburg man who recently befriended Daly online. The St. Petersburg man told deputies that in one of the online chats, Daly said he was planning to go to St. Petersburg to commit a murder and then have sex with the body. I like how he picked out St. Petersburg, though, as though they were going to have the most attractive corpses. Mm-hmm. Like he'd ranked the city somewhere like some sort of an undead Zagat's guide. So Daly reportedly wanted to know if the St. Petersburg man was interested in joining him. <laughs> the man told investigators a few days later, Daly changed the plan and decided to target a man who did work around the Citrus Springs neighborhood. Uh, deputies took uh, Daly into custody and seized his computer records. He's currently being held without bail. <laughs> I would imagine so. So he was just in... What kind of a chat room conversation must that have been? And he was know. just talking to the guy, what are you doing this weekend? Well, I... Uh... How would you like to die? <laughs> I was... Well, we could. Do you want to go fishing? Well, hey, we could go fishing. We could also defile a corpse. How I would could you, also bludgeon you. How would you <laughs> and then have intercourse with your body. How would you feel about that? Jesus. And you know, now here's the weird thing. I say this as, as though the rest of the story is not bizarre enough. But so he was talking. To, this is like that guy, the, the Eugene guy that's in the chat room going, will you please come kill me and eat me? Mm-hmm. So he's talking to this guy in a chat room. And from the sound of the story, he already had the victim picked out. Mm-hmm. Like he already had a guy, usually it's a woman, but he already had a guy picked out that he was going to kill and whose body he was then going to have, uh, with whose body he was then going to have sex. So the weird thing is, let me ask you this, do you think the cops are going to notify or alert the guy who was the intended victim? Oh. Would you want to know? I would, yes. Let me ask you this, Sarah. I would not want to know. If someone was out there planning to kill you and then defile your corpse, and then the cops caught him, would you ever want to know that that plan had existed? No. Would you just like to be ignorant about the yes. whole thing? All right. Okay. Cause that's just... Would you? I don't think you'd want to know either. I don't think so. Unless the guy was going to be getting out at some point. Like, unless he was going to be out in, like, 5 to 10 or something. And I think, I'd, and even then, I think I would prefer to wait and have them tell me as he was preparing to be released. Yes, me too. I don't think I would want to know now. I mean, it is kind of flattering, I guess, in a horrific way. I mean, of all the many people in St. Petersburg he could have killed and, you know, been defiled. I mean, you know, to be the one. I'm sorry. There, there, we're, that's, that's it. Okay. We're, let's bring it back. Back after this. I'm going to... Okay. Sorry. Too soon. Also, anyway, we'll return to the Rick Emerson Show after this. You stay right there.
Uh, all right, so we're doing all uh, baby one more time bumper music today. Let's see if I've got this one. Maybe too much. This is a. Yeah, that's probably too much. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here's Tim Riley once again. Well, John McCain, remember him? He was running for president. And believe it or not, he still is for some ridiculous reason. Who? John McCain. Oh, McCain, yeah. He said it's important to answer questions about torture methods. Uh, speaking on ABC's This Week, he said uh, that, uh, let's see, Attorney General nominee Michael Mukasey... Uh, repeatedly declined to answer questions about waterboarding during the second day of confirmation hearings, saying he's not sure exactly what is torture. Anyone who says they don't know if waterboarding is torture or not has no experience in the conduct of warfare and national security. Boy, he just, sounds, he just sounds so old and tired and completely irrelevant at this point. I don't mean to be cruel, but really, he just sounds... It just something. Uh, there's just something snapped inside of him, I think, and not in an interesting falling-down kind of way. Just sort of in a... Mm -hmm. He suddenly just became really old. Uh, I, you know, I mean, he used to be just a real spitfire. Mm -hmm. uh, and now he's, now he's just... You know what John McCain is? John McCain is now just that guy who kind of sits in a corner booth at like a greasy spoon diner somewhere, sort of drinking coffee and flirting with the waitress and talking about how things were back in the Battle of Antioch. You know what I mean? Yes. All right. So as uh, we go on and on here, yeah, John McCain is... Uh, <laughs> as John McCain drones on without ceasing. He see, says uh, torture is very important. This is a fundamental about America. It isn't about an interrogation technique. It isn't about whether someone's really harmed or not. It's about what kind of a nation we are. We are a nation that takes the moral high ground. Uh, okay. Well, the plumber is becoming as common a Halloween visitor as little vampires and ghosts. That's because of sticky pumpkin pulp and seeds. Uh, Paul Abram, a plumber, reminds jack-o'-lantern carvers that pumpkin pulp should never be put down drains or in garbage disposals. The slimy gunk is ideal for causing, uh, causing uh, sink drainage backups. It is the perfect recipe for just drying and clogging your drain pipes and your garbage disposal. <laughs> it's disgusting. Don't flush pumpkins down the toilet, either. That just makes the clog form a little further down into your pipes. <laughs> That's fantastic. We should use that out of context at some point. And, you know, you can tell that that is a guy for whom plumbing is the entire world. Like, he's really... Sometimes you can just spot that. When a guy has sort of a strange or, I don't know, just non-tradition, it's a job that you don't really think about that it's being filled with zest. Yeah. That guy is really, really into it. You know that if you get a drink or two in that guy, like one sidecar too many, he'll just go on and on relentlessly about the fascinating world of plumbing and all that that entails. So... All right, and go. now obligatory Halloween sounds. This is a woman screaming while being attacked by a crazed animal. Thanks so much. You're yes. welcome. Uh, I have something else, by the way, if we want to play it. I have another. I have some Halloween sound. Uh, although I will say this, two things. A, Taser apparently stands for Thomas A. Swift Electric Rifle. Oh. Uh, multiple people have told Richie Bristol that Thomas A. Swift is either the company or the man, or quite possibly both, who invented it. It is the electric rifle. That means Taser with a Z is actually sort of a colloquialism. The actual spelling of Taser is T-A-S... E-R. Oh, I'm sorry, not Swift. Thomas A. Smith. Thomas A. Smith Electric Rifle. So, uh, should anybody ask, uh, now you know. Also, now, where are you pulling those sound effects from? Is that just from Metro? It is. Because I wonder where Metro got them. Uh, there is a whole weird... 
I think about this sometimes, about strange products that only exist for about two weeks out of the year, like the Paz uh, Easter Egg Company. Aren't they the ones that make the Easter Egg dye packs? Yes. The uh, the Paz people. Mm-hmm. It's like, what do they do the rest of the year? Uh, we used to ask that about Peeps, too, and now we found out that they actually make Peeps year-round. They make Fourth of July Peeps and Christmas Peeps and Halloween Peeps. But the Paz Easter Egg uh, dye kit... Uh, they must just make so much money during the month of April or whatever. You know what it is? It's like those companies that make the uh, that make those candy hearts. They must just make such a huge slice of their income during February that they just could you know can go on vacation the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. Not unlike the woman that does my taxes. The woman, boy, if you ever want to just get a glimpse of the grass being greener on the other side, the woman who does my taxes, and I won't I won't say the name of her firm, but you know she works. I don't know. X months out of the year, and then just like goes to Jamaica for the rest of the year, because mm-hmm. she'll come over, and you know we'll be sitting there at the table, and you know she's showing me how much I'm getting the, the governmental shaft, and uh, you know I'll sign it, and and we'll kind of make small talk, and she'll say, so what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I'm I don't know, I'm gonna sit around the house and eat stale popcorn, probably. What are you doing? She's like, well, I'm going to Jamaica for the next 19 weeks. I mean, once the tax season is over, her work is done. Um, but it's like, but those Halloween sound effects remind me of. Those cassettes that you would buy, probably still can at Fred Meyer for like a dollar ninety nine. Yeah. Although now they're probably on CD. Mm. Um, but that, that's what everybody went every year growing up, man. It's like I would go down to the Woolworths and for like ninety nine cents I would buy some Pickwick brand audio cassette uh, it, with orange plastic and black writing, and it would be spooky Halloween sounds. And it was exact, and you could tell that it was like a dub of a dub of a dub of a just like the worst quality stuff uh, ever. That's all leading up to this. When I was a child, uh, I had a vinyl, it was actually a dub of a friend's vinyl record, and it was called Sounds of Terror, and it had, you know, your stereotypical, like, Halloween crap, and I think it had some bad cover of Monster Mash, like, not even the original, it was just some terrible, some, like, you know, some house band at the studio that had recorded Monster Mash really badly, but it had some of the freakiest sound effects on it, and I haven't thought about this record for a long time, it used to kind of legitimately unnerve me when I was a kid. It was called Sounds of Terror, and on the front was like a vampire coming out of a, a coffin. And there was, the, you know, there was like, a, you know, a, 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 a ghoul dragging chains, and there was woman screaming, and there was, I don't know, there was like Frankenstein's monster attacking. And then there were some other sounds like man being keel-hauled. Like, what? When did they decide that that was a how? First of all, how would that ever even be identified by the casual listener? Like, can you picture yourself being at a Halloween... I wish I... For more than anything, I wish I had a copy of this record. Um, can you picture yourself being at a Halloween party, and then they're playing this record, and they're going, why, that's fantastic. That, that, if, unless I'm wrong, that's very distinctly and obviously the sound of a man being keel-hauled. And I do believe it's at high tide. I mean, why would they bother to put that sound effect on there? I swear to you, here was another sound effect on this record. They had man being keel-hauled, and then they had people being eaten by giant crabs. I don't understand if they just had a series of sound effects laying around the studio, and it was like an Iron Chef kind of a thing where they were putting together the record. And like, I don't know, we got to do two more tracks. What do you have here? Well, I have these castanets and a walnut crusher, and then Janet can scream really well. I know, people being eaten by giant crabs. And then they put it all together because it was like track five, people being eaten by giant crabs. That was right between like werewolf and zombie attack. It's the strangest record. I mean, now that I think about it, it just makes no sense at all. So, anyway, well, that's probably not interesting to anybody. I'm just saying, you, you, let me just play this. This is, uh, here's, this is as we prepare for Halloween. How about this? Uh, 
That's pretty great. Oh, there's the clothes to it as well. A boy's best friend is his mother. All right, there you go. Oh, Aaron made that, didn't he? Yes, he did. Oh, that's so wrong. Lots of free time in that house. All right, here's uh, Tim Riley. So, uh, thousands of Red Sox fans have some new furniture in their homes that they weren't paying for. Jordan's furniture president and CEO, Elliot Tattleman, says they were in a promotional officer for full rebates if the Red Sox won the World Series. Everybody's going to get a rebate and, and on the products. Now, remember, it's not for everything that they buy. It was for the sofa. It's not for the love seat, the chairs, and the table. And it was for the dining room table, not the chairs and the china. That's about 30,000 people who are winners. Congratulations to all of our customers. I mean, close to 30,000 families are now affected with getting free furniture and rebates back on the sofa they're sitting on or the mattress they're sleeping on. That's uh, Jordan's Furniture in uh, Boston. Fantastic. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello. Hi. How can I help you? This is Sky. Yes. Um, I want to tell you about the best Halloween costume. Uh, the little town I lived in, in California. Yes. Uh, they, you sound stressed. No, I'm not. I'm not stressed at all. I'm just smiling in anticipation of a fantastic story. Okay. Um, they held a, a Halloween party uh, the Friday night before Halloween for the kids. And on Saturday night, they held one for the adults. And we used to go and stand outside and watch all the different costumes go in. And this one couple came down, the lady dressed in um, the 60s-type house dress with a little apron tied around, the man had his uh, sweater vest. That's exactly what I should go as. I should go as a 1960s housewife. Oh, wait a minute. Okay. <laughs> and in their head, they had what we thought were hatchets. And we were trying to figure out what it was. And as they walked by me, it dawned on me. It was the cleavers. Ah, okay, that's funny. Okay, that is really, that's legitimately great. That's way better than the costume I used on Saturday. Fantastic. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, the cleavers. Meet the cleaver. Meet the cleavers. That's what you call that whole getup. Hey, somebody just sent me a link to the to the Sounds of Terror record, which somebody has posted in its entire... Kind of love the Internet. What did we do without the net, really, honestly? Someone has posted... The entire Sounds of Terror record. Okay, so I'm looking at the track list here. This is the track list. I'll see if I can download it later uh, and then and then actually play some of these. Because the guy has written a little blog entry. He says, um, uh, from Pickwick Records. Pickwick Records. God, I remember those guys. They, they're just like the lowest common denominator. I mean, just like Pickwick is like the like the homeless man's K-Tel. Um, features... Buried Alive, of course, the Monster Mash, uh, Victims of the Guillotine, what, other, what else is on here? Um, death Struggle of the Prehistoric Monsters, uh, let's see, Attack of the Incredible Crab, that's it. Is that it. There is a track on this record, that's what it's called, it is called Attack of the, of the Incredible Crab. Uh, let's see, there is, um... Does it have MP3s, or is it just a... Yeah, it's a big MP3, so I'm going to download it. Screams of the Torture Chamber... The Maniacal Headless Horseman, 
Let's see. Uh, there's a Jack the Ripper one, which I think is made by a guy just stabbing a melon over and over again. I'm going to download this. Actually, we'll play it later and see if it's if it's if it at all resembles what it, what it is in my memory. All right, here's Tim Riley. Well, Halloween is uh, coming soon, and there are creepy costumes such as vampires, witches, and zombies that are always popular with adults, says a costume seller. One thing that we do see is that men like to be silly or scary. And women really, really do like to look sexy. Thank you for that. Uh, Nip Tech is out for some fresh blood. The series launches its fifth season tomorrow, featuring plastic surgeons Christian Troy and Sean McNamara, played by Julian McMahon and Dylan Walsh, making the uh, move from Miami to Los Angeles. Among the guest stars this season will be the Dukes of Hazard alumnus John Schneider, who says he's thrilled to take on a brand new challenge. It's great. It's a complete departure from anything I've ever done on television before, obviously. Uh, a very well-produced show, and I'm excited about being there. I'm excited about being there. Oh, isn't it, is this Nip Tuck? Yes, it is. You know, see, I've never watched Nip Tuck in my life. I uh, thought you have. No, I not the first season. It was good. Yeah, I, I, I don't think a little gruesome. For what? It, yeah, I just it, it, for whatever reason I didn't watch it, and then and then it was like so. And then I looked up, and FX does that weird thing where their seasons start about every four months. Mm -hmm. So I, I just like it's like I blinked, and they were on season five, and now I feel like I just it, it, it's pointless. I have to try to watch it all on DVD or something. And every time I watch anything on FX, except for The Shield, every time I watch anything on that network, it gets canceled. I watched that Andre Brower series, Thief. That got canceled. I watched John Corbett in Lucky. That got canceled. It's just like I look at something. It's like I have some weird death ray ability. It's like I, I look over at a television show, and my eye, suddenly my eyes start to glow red like Billy Moomy, and then the show is gone. Here's uh, Tim Riley. John Mellencamp is back on the road. The singer-songwriter kicked off a 23-date trip uh, over the weekend in Indiana. The first uh, tour dates span the Midwest, and then he'll travel to the Northeast, but he's not coming here. One of Paris Hilton's cars has a little damaged fender, thanks to the paparazzi. The hotel heiress was getting out of her Cadillac Escalade over the weekend when a photographer's car struck hers. The man driving Hilton's SUV said he faced a tough decision, adding... Quote, basically, it was either me risking hurting my client, which I wasn't willing to do, of course, or taking the hit. Paris was not injured, but one of her bodyguards said his neck is sore. No authorities were uh, called to the incident. Both parties exchanged information, and Hilton was able to continue shopping at Hollywood's trendy Kitson Boutique. Well, there are a lot more tricks than treats going on in Salem, Massachusetts, home of uh, witches. You know, you got to do this stuff because well, we're in the media. I'm sorry. Let me just pull up a chair here. Hold on. Uh, can we talk about that rotting flower later, too? Yes. Uh, okay. An expert on witches, uh, Sean Poirier, says uh, people cast spells for various reasons. For money, for love, for protection, for other people that are sick and healing. It's a time of your taking stock and cutting away what's weak in your life. Why don't you cast a spell for better clarity on the audio you sent us? A man who made him a star sits in jail, and former NSYNC singer Lance Bass isn't Wait. a bit surprised. Hold on. I'm not surprised at all. What? Yeah. Hold on. I just blinked. And, well, we thought, we're not still in Salem, are we? No, we moved. Okay. I was just I was going to comment on the Salem guy, and then suddenly it was Lance Bass. I just want to say this. Before we move on to the Lance Bass story, which I'm sure is fantastic. Insightful. Um, I'm sure we'll learn a lot about him. So, the Salem, Massachusetts, who was that guy? He was an expert on witches named Sean Poirier. Okay. So I was thinking about this, actually, while the guy was talking, about cities that just... It must be kind of sad to live in a city like that, don't you think? 
it's like live it's like living in what's it in Punxsutawney. Do you know what I mean? We're yeah. just you can't first of all, if you're from Punxsutawney, don't you think you just lie to people about it? Like cuz uh, Christian Bowie I think for a while was dating a guy from Punxsutawney mm-hmm. and so there came the inevitable point in the relationship when they had to let's go back home for Groundhog's Day and so she had to go and I think she went to meet his family I may be telling the story wrong but she had to go back home with with her boyfriend to to his hometown which is Punxsutawney to meet the family and then also to do the stupid thing where the groundhog comes out mm-hmm. and I mean if you like if you're from Punxsutawney it seems like you must just make up some alternate hometown because you know that you're going to have to have the conversation it's like it's like that listener i know uh who i think we've talked about her name is tanya harding and it's like you at a certain point you just lie to people what's your name tanya smith you know because you just you know because you've heard all the jokes you've had all the conversations what is the point uh and so living in salem massachusetts is like that too portland doesn't have anything like that but there's salem Mm-hmm. There's Punxsutawney. What else? There's got to be another Hershey, Pennsylvania. There's another one of those. There's some poor sap born in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and has to live through the annual chocolate parade or whatever it is that they have there. So it's just an unfortunate thing. Pasadena, right? the Rose Parade. Pasadena is another place. And how weird, by the way, that Salem now has this entire cottage industry. Of witches. Well, based on a bunch of Christian nutcases, like squashing people between rocks. I mean, it's a little morbid. I mean, not that I really care. It's just sort of strange when you think about it. It's like when I went on the Jack the Ripper tour uh, in, in the U.K., which was about a guy cutting the ovaries out of prostitutes, you know? But they're like, they're like you know, like selling you like a wacky Jack the Ripper doll at the end. Like, would you like a Jack, and the, Jack the Ripper, you know, wind-up toy for your children? Yeah. It's all very strange. I mean, it's amazing, this little tiny island. It yeah. is still capable of attracting the world's attention with things that happened hundreds of years. Yeah, I mean, it's all, it's, it's, I don't know, it's all, it's all really weird. Well, whatever. Anyway, so there you go. So, so that's, I mean, Halloween is the only reason Salem has an income at this point, I think. I think everybody already celebrated Halloween over the weekend anyway. Well, that's, that was the other thing. Is that Halloween there are a few places that have Halloween on Halloween, but it's in the middle of the week. Now, are you guys doing anything on Halloween proper? You probably are, sir. Yeah, I think I'm going to go out. Because I just, yeah, I've already seen I'm done. I went to not only, because I went to both parties, because I went to two parties and on Saturday. And you've exhausted your party resources I, for the Oh, year. man, I am locked and loaded. I never have to leave the house or do anything ever again. So, and I, by the way, and I will say this in advance, I will not be wearing anything to the office on Wednesday. I sort of have a, let me just say this. I don't wish to preemptively insult anybody that we work with, but I can, don't you have a kind of a low-grade contempt for people who wear Halloween costumes to work? Oh, don't be all awkward, because then you're going to say that, and this is on in the kitchen, and somebody was planning on wearing an outfit, and then they're going to be here, and they're going to know you. You're sitting at the table right now. You feel the same way, though. I know you do. You're, I know. You're destroying somebody's public. I, I know. I know that. No, no. I know that when you see somebody who comes to comes to work dressed to something, that you sort of just that they drop just a little bit in your mental estimation. You may not be willing to say that out loud, but I am. You know it's true. Your silence they're, is an unspoken assent. They're fun-loving folks. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, come on. We're working radio, though. I mean, someone's in a costume every day here. I, no, that is true. The costume is... Uh... Jim was just wearing a skirt and a wig yesterday. I was too. Okay, that, wasn't, that wasn't the way I was going to go, but you're right. Jim from the Marconi Show was actually dressed as a giant something. And he was dressed as a... A tiger. So he dressed as a tiger the other day, oh, and then he was dressed as Britney Spears on Friday. Oh, I didn't notice. Yeah. I... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wasn't looking. <laughs> Here's Tim Riley. Uh, so anyway, uh, getting back to this Lance Bass story. Yes, yeah, so can we please? Uh, the man who made him a star sits in jail, and now Lance Bass is not surprised. I'm not surprised at all. You know, someone that can be that greedy and, and steal from you know teenagers really can do anything. Well, this is Lou Pearlman. Yes. So this is the guy who uh, just a big job of the hut looking bastard. He just it just looks like he looks like just uh, just a huge. 
He looks like a huge... You know what he looks like? LA's here's full of people like that. Now, here's, here's what Lou Pearlman looks like. A, he looks exactly like the guy that fired me, or arranged for my firing anyway, in Salt Lake, who was then later busted for visiting a whorehouse. He looks exactly like that guy, who I will not name. But I will also say this. You kids of the 80s will remember this. Lou Pearlman, the man who was behind, so to speak, the Backstreet Boys, uh, in sync, O-Town, so forth, he looks like a giant... Massive, fleshy mad ball. If you if you remember mad balls, that is exactly what he looks like. A six foot tall, six foot across, completely spherical, lumpy, fleshy mad ball. Just imagine that guy just rolling his folds all over you and saying, "If I do this, we'll exchange energy," which is Ew. apparently what he did to that one guy in LFO. So it was a whole lot, and then they were wrestling, and his towel came off. Oh, yeah. oh the best worst thing I've ever heard. All right. Anyway, apparently he's in jail. Well, uh, there's plenty more like him out there. Uh, yes. Uh, Lance Bass says the success of the NSYNCs could be recreated even in today's media climate, but only if the right team is in place. As long as you have a good head on your shoulders and you have people surrounding you that will tell you no and tell you the truth, I think anyone can be fine. Okay. Uh, the lead singer-songwriter Johnny Cash's four daughters may have been gypped out of song royalties for one of his biggest tunes. A Pasadena lawyer tells the New York Daily News that the majority of money made off Ring of Fire, said to be in the millions, has gone to cash and uh, June Carter Cash's only child together, John. Johnny Cash's four daughters, Roseanne, Kathleen, Cindy, and Tara, were both born to him with his first wife, Vivian. Uh, they're reportedly investigating the matter for the daughters, although Roxanne, an accomplished musician of her own right, reportedly doesn't want to be involved. Ring of Fire's copyright was shared by Johnny Cash, June Carter Cash, and songwriter Merle Kilgore. Uh, Dick Cheney is in New York's Hudson Valley today for some duck and pheasant hunting. Really? Mm -hmm. You think that the, this is, a, by the way, an indication of how much influence that guy has in the White House? Because you know that if it was anybody but Dick Cheney, they would just never allow him near a gun ever again until the administration was done and gone. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, some press secretary somewhere would be locking up all the firearms and secluding him in the fruit cellar like Norman Bates's mother just to keep him out of, out of public. Well, this Ritzy Gun Club covers 4,000 acres near Poughkeepsie. An annual membership costs more than $150,000. I think Poughkeepsie is a fantastic name for a town. I don't know anything about it. I don't know what happens there. I don't know what they do there. I don't know what kind of people live in Poughkeepsie. It's just fun to say. I couldn't, and by the way... Poughkeepsie, Poughkeepsie, Poughkeepsie. Oh, that is fun. <laughs> Isn't it? It just makes you smile. I don't know why. And I will tell you this. Apologies to Scotty J, uh, who's no longer working here. But I will tell you this. that it, I don't think I could even spell that, actually. P Poughkeepsie. Is it? Wait, let's see. Oh, you'll never get it. Is it? Okay. P-O-U-G-H-K-E-E-P-S-I-E. -E -E. Correct. You oh, in your face, Scotty J. Uh, speaking of Scotty J, somebody asked. Scotty J. Somebody asked. I remember that guy. Two things. A. I did. I watched uh, Boogie Nights this weekend. As I said, I was going to. Did you watch Almost Famous? Oh, of course. I went and bought it. How great. Did you buy the. Uh, did you, were you able to get the director's cut? Nope. Ah, uh, it's too bad. I'll lend okay. it. I'll lend it to you at some point so you can watch it. It's great. You it's hear like, all about the commentary. I'm not. It's not for the commentary. It's because the movie itself is 30 minutes longer, and oh. all the the no. Because I know you're not really into commentaries. The the uh, if you buy the director's cut, you get both versions. You get the theatrical version, and then you also get the director's cut, which has 35 additional minutes in it. And it's just it's all re it's just stuff he had to cut out because the studio was like the movie has to be shorter. Nobody wants to sit through you know movie this longer, uh, and so it has it's like 30 minutes longer, and it's just beautiful. It's just got. I mean, it's okay. not going to make it or break it. 
it's not like it makes the theatrical version unwatchable. The theatrical version, which is the version I really fell in love with, is still great. But it's like if you really, at, at some point, ever want to just really wallow in it, uh, it's it's like however long the movie is in the theater, which is two hours. I think this one's like two and a half, something like that. So it's just at some point you should check it out. It's pretty great. Okay, cool. Um, uh, what was my point? Um, yeah, so I had that movie Boogie Nights kind of in my head all week for some reason. I was just sort of, and it had been a long time since I watched it. So I sat and I watched Boogie Nights all the way through this weekend, which is just a flawless film. It's just a masterpiece. Um, I mean, I'm a big fan of Magnolia, and I like Heart Eight, which is that guy's first film. But Boogie Nights really is just a masterwork. But I, somebody had referenced this, and I hadn't really gone back and watched it. But, um, but Philip Seymour Hoffman's character in Boogie Nights is in fact named Scotty J. Yeah. I but see, I. That's somebody, why it's like, oh, can I kiss you on the mouth? See, I knew his name was Scotty, and I thought it might be one of those things where, like, his name is Scotty J, but they don't ever say it in the movie. Like how Roller Girl's name is Brandy, but no one ever really calls her Brandy. It's just sort of known. Um, it, but at one point, I'd forgotten about this because it's been like a year or two since I've actually watched the movie. The guy's like, and this is Scotty J. And then there's like big, big, fat, flabby C- Philip Seymour Hoffman in his awkward tank top, like going, I, I, Derek, I think you're really sexy. And it's just so, it makes my skin crawl just to think about it, actually. Because it's like he, because when, he's, when he introduces him as Scotty J and he just looks like a, just looks like a big, like socially awkward beach whale. Uh, and then it's, you know, and I'm just sort of overlaying Scotty J's face on him uh, while I'm watching the film. So there's that, A. And B, what's my other point? What were we talking about? Scotty J, Boogie Nights. I have nothing. What was what were we talking about right before this? Oh, Scotty J himself. Yeah. So somebody asked me if Scotty J went to see Cabaret with us this weekend, and he didn't. Uh, it oh, ended well, up I being... couldn't go because you said that you were going to give him the extra ticket. Well, here's the thing: is that Storm, as she uh, as she always does, uh, got us the hookup. Storm took care of us, uh, and so we. Uh, it was myself and Laura and Tim, and then so I had a couple of extra seats, and I was going to call, you know, and I know you had some stuff going, you couldn't go. I asked Scott Daly about it, he was going to see that Phantom of the Opera silent film, which apparently was was great, at the Hollywood Theater, and so I'm like, well, you know, no, no, and I thought about it, I'm like, well, you know, we did we did talk about this when Scotty still worked here, I should do the right thing. I'll, I'll call Scotty and ask if he wants to go. So I call No, Scott. no, no, that, that was me talking to you on the phone, telling you that you should ask Scotty, because it would be the right thing to do. Well, I'm, okay. I was then guilted into calling Scotty. I was trying to make myself look better than I really am. But, but you were like, well, you should call Scotty. So I can't believe you would actually pass on an opportunity to see him. Well, it's right. not that he passed. Here's the conversation. So I call Scotty. Scotty answers the phone. And he's like, Scotty J. And by the way, is he's now out in the real professional world, right? He actually has a, an actual job. He's still got exactly the same voicemail greeting, which is when you call him. You've reached Scotty J. And, and I that's mean, exactly what it sounds that's like. That's exactly what it sounds like. Have a great day. Scotty J says goodbye. You know, and he, it, I mean, I, I can't imagine what kind of client is calling that voicemail and thinking that the company is not run by retards. <laughs> but anyway, so I, I, I call him. I leave my message. He calls me back. And he says, hey, Rick, what's up? And I said, uh, I said, hey, you know, we talked about going to Cabaret, and even though you're, you're not working on the show anymore, uh, you know, we had discussed it. You'd, you'd expressed some interest. Uh, I, I, got, I got some tickets. You want to go see Cabaret? And he was immediately, he said, he said, that's great, fantastic. When? And I said, well, Sunday, 2 o'clock. That's great. Thanks for remembering me. No problem. He hangs up the phone. He calls me back about 60 seconds later. And he's like, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to pass on that. I'm, I'm not going to be able to go. And I said, no, come on. We've got the great, uh, we got the hookup. They're great seats. You know, they're, they're, they're complimentary. Storm was able to, to get us kind of hooked up there with a the guy. And he's like, no, I, uh, no, I can't go. And, and I said, 
I actually said, is this your wife saying you can't go? Are you, are you canceling or is Mrs. J making you cancel? And he goes, I was just, uh, yeah, she just reminded me that we have a thing. Hasn't she taken enough from him? <laughs> no. No, she hasn't. She's not happy with one pound of flesh. She wants it all. So, yes. So he was, uh, I believe he was informed that he was not going to be allowed to, to play with his friends. God, Sky J's marriage sucks. <laughs> That's Sarah Dillon who said that, by the way. Here's Tim Riley, the Ministry of Truth. A man who had sex with a bike has found his way into court. An actual story from the U.K. Okay. What? A man has been placed on the sexual offender's register after being caught trying to have sex with a bike. Was he bike curious? I don't... <laughs> Robert Stewart was discovered in his room by two cleaners. Come on! That's funny. They knocked several times, but there was no reply. They used the master key to unlock the door, and they observed the accused wearing only a white T-shirt naked from the waist down, accused of holding the bike and moving his hips back and forth. <laughs> Uh, oh, oh. Both witnesses were extremely he, shocked. One of those gel seats. And notified the manager. Okay. He's been placed on the sexual offender's register, but his sentence was deferred until next month. He's not the first man to be convicted of a sexual offense involving an inanimate object. Uh, Carl Watkins, an electrician, was jailed for having sex with pavements. <laughs> I don't understand. Wait, no. You can't just read that and then move. With pavements? That's what it said. Well, there's a crack between them. Is it? How sad for him. I know. Um, is the, is... I'm going to stop and reset in my head now. You can't just read that and then put it down on the, on the, the, the pile it. face down. Now, having sex with pavements, <laughs> is that some British slang? For more than one pavement. Well, but what does that slab. mean? It's a stack well, of there, pavements. There's a slab. There's a slab, then there's a space, then there's another piece. But there isn't a space. Yeah, there always is. There are holes in the pavement. There, there should be. <gasps> Maybe it's like those construction like pavement things, like the roadblocks, like the big cement barrier kind of things. Oh, I suppose that's true. I demand to know more about that story. We should look into it. Uh, we should break here. Okay, and I feel really guilty about saying this guy Jay's marriage sucks. I don't know that. Yeah, they're not even listening. Marriage. I'm sure he's not allowed to listen to radio at all anymore. It's been taken away. Yeah, I was going to say, he's he's basically living his life in solitary at this point. He's He's in the hole. No, you're right. sitting in the office with the president of the company. Yeah, I think I think the I think this. I, I'm the president. I, that's that's and we have to break after this. But I will say, here's the great yeah, thing. We do have a dress code. This, this great thing that's got, about this company, and by great I mean terrible, that this company left this show to go to work for. So we're having lunch after his final day, which was a couple Fridays ago. We're having lunch, and it's the four of us: Tim, Sarah, and Scotty, and myself. And we're asking Scotty, we're like, hey, seriously, you know, no fooling around. Please talk to us about this company because it sounds like a scam. And it's, so you, you need to know this, that Scotty is the only employee at this company. He is the, literally, I am not exaggerating for the purposes of God, he is the only employee, but the other guy refers to himself as the president, which is great, because then you just picture, it, it's like those Aryan Nations guys who are always holed up in a trailer in Idaho, and you know, there's like two guys, and one of them has to call the other Fuhrer, you know what I mean? Well, he's the one that hands out the phone book. <laughs> The other guy drives the van while Scotty goes up and knocks on the door and hands them the Papa John certificate. All right. Let's break here. We'll come back with Jim Roof. Later on, we have Peter Carlin joining us from the Oregonian. Uh, more from Tim Riley and uh, so forth. You say there's the Rick Emerson Show. Don't go anywhere.
the Rick Emerson Radio Program. I'm never going to want to hear this song again. Yeah, we know we, we're not even. Uh, we're only halfway through. We got four more versions of this song to go. It's all versions of "Baby One More Time" is our return music today. I could go back to playing that one, but that one we were playing earlier. We'll get Jim Roop here in like five seconds. This one is by a group called Kavorkian. This goes on for another four minutes. Ladies and gentlemen, let's now welcome to the Rick Emerson Radio Program from Los Angeles. Singing a radio correspondent to the stars, James Roop. Hello, sir. <laughs> Your woohoo sounds so sad and deflated today. <laughs> it's not that bad. I mean, things are kind of calming down. How uh, Have you had a day off since we talked? Uh, well, I was off over the weekend. Okay, so you did have you had Saturday and Sunday to try to recover, to recoup. Yeah, but I, I, still, I still did put in a request for a little time off, maybe Thursday and Friday, because... Still, being off over the weekend just sort of underscored for my wife all the stuff I've not done <laughs> over the past 15, 16 days. But, I mean, aren't you able to buy yourself out of the doghouse a little bit by talking about how you're covering, you know, the, this, the, the, this is what you are broadcasting for humanity, Jim Roop. You were talking about a, an issue of, as Janice Joplin once said, great social and political import. Yeah, that doesn't help if the porch needs painting. <laughs> That's if the rain gutters are clogged. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. That's fine, Mr. So. Why don't you social and political import the garbage out to the curb, huh? <laughs> yeah. That's no. That's that is. A, I'm not trying to complain, but I'm saying that is often my life as well. Uh, you know, it's to come back home. Hey, I was fantastic. You should. The listener party was great. We had 900 people. I was carried out into the street like a god and showered with the petals of a thousand freshly plucked daisies. Empty the trash. Yeah, my was like, that's fine. The dishes in the kitchen are attracting fruit flies. Why don't you get to cleaning? <laughs> I'm like, okay, sorry. Please forgive me. So, um, so, but it sounds like I mean it didn't, it's not out, but the tide has turned and, and things are. Is it fair to say everything is contained at this point? No, 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 no. Far from contained. Oh, I mean, now, okay. I mean, you still have. There's a couple of fires that are, let's say, ninety percent contained, right? Eighty-five percent contained. That still means there's five percent of the fire that's advancing uncontrolled, and so it, it, they're just trying to keep that aiming toward a certain area so that it doesn't turn back in and on some homes. So it's just a matter of. Trying to get a line around everything and see if they can, after they get it surrounded, then put it out. Well, and 5% doesn't sound like a lot, maybe, until you imagine you realize how big that fire is. And 5% of a lot is still a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's 5% of, like, you know, 9 jillion square acres is still quite a bit of land you got to get taken care of there. Yeah, you're right. I think people forget about that part when they hear those little percentages. They think, oh, 5%? That's like giving 5% of my income to the church. I was, Yeah, that's exactly that's what it is. That's nothing. Yeah, no, no. It's a, yeah, it's a whole, that's a whole lot. So, um, and, I mean, at this point, they still are, are they still thinking that at least a big chunk of this was was arson or I mean yes. do they even know anything I, I'm always mystified by that and I'm not saying that they don't know clearly they do but it is one of those things that outstrips my intelligence because I look at a place that has just been reduced to just a blackened cinder and you just think to yourself how can they possibly examine this when all the evidence by definition has been burned up and no that it was arson. It's just it. It really is a very specialized skill. It's kind of fascinating that they're able to figure that stuff out. Well, I think the way the way it started to spread because you can find the origin of a fire pretty easily. Um, that's going to be for most intents and purposes the hottest spot of the fire, and they can find that pretty quickly because first of all, as soon as a fire is reported, 
it's not that big, so they go to it. Right. So they know kind of where it started, and as they look at it, they can tell if it was it was deliberately set. And this one they knew from the get-go, the Santiago fire in Orange County, they knew from the get-go, they tell us. They won't tell us what evidence they've collected or what they think was used to start the fire, right. or even if the two points of origin were started simultaneously. All they were telling us right now is that they want to take a look at this truck, and they want to take a look at anybody who went to the fire early in its, in its uh, ignition to take pictures or video or whatever. They want to see into the valley. If anybody's down in there, they want to take a look at the pictures, if they have any, of anybody standing around watching the fire. This is sort of like when they have... Uh... You know, when they, like some serial killer or whatever, when they, when they bury one of the victims, they always photograph everybody who shows up at the funeral. Yeah. Because they always figure that some Ed Gein bastard is going to be walking through in a hunter's hat. Yeah, uh, but it's a know. real shot in the dark, though. I mean, come on. You know, you, you're asking for people. You know, there's some 30 people that they know or they understand were at this ignition point taking pictures, of, not at the ignition point, but taking pictures of the fire from a, a valley, a particular portion of uh, Santiago Canyon. And so they're looking down at the origin of the fire, and fire officials want to see if they can see anybody or any cars down in the fire from where people are shooting it. Right. Or, again, you know, if they took any pictures of any other photographers or people standing around watching it, I mean, they want to eyeball everybody and, uh, and start talking. They have no idea who this person is. I mean, because they're really grasping at straws. You know, this, this white uh, Ford pickup truck, that may or may not be even true. I well, mean, I mean, in a state of 600 quintillion people, however many live, how many people live in, in, in California? What is the population of California? Too many. Yeah, I mean, there's just no, I mean, this isn't like, I mean, look, let's be honest. If they couldn't, they couldn't find, uh, they couldn't find a big white car, uh, you know, on the Vegas Strip. That I remember when after Tupac got shot, and there was just, you know, there was the white car on the, on the, uh, on Tropicana, I think, right outside the MGM on the, you know, instant moments after the, the, the fight when traffic was stopped and there's only two roads, you know, that go in and out of town and they couldn't find somebody. <laughs> so, I mean, the idea that they're going to find some vague, amorphous description of a vehicle in the entire state of California when all the evidence has been burnt to a cinder is just, I mean, you hope they do, but you got to, yeah, it's a bit of a long shot, it seems like. So, you know, yeah, what I mean, are you going to do? You know, they, they're confident they're going to find something, and it wouldn't surprise me if they do eventually come up with a suspect. But, you know, it's going to be a while. I mean, the fire is still burning. This one, this particular fire, Santiago fire, is only 65% contained, burning into the Cleveland National Forest. So, I mean, they, they get to that thing before it starts burning those decades-old trees that are in there. That, right. Otherwise, I think it's going to burn forever. Oh, all right. Well, there you go. So, no good news of any kind. Hey, by the way, the good news for you is, and this is all relatively speaking, is that because you were so deeply ensconced in the fire there, you did not have to go off and cover the Britney thing, which happened on Friday. That was Friday, I think, with the final. The, her, her, oh, that's right. That the big court date. hearing. See, Whatever happened with that? I don't even know what happened with that. I don't even know. Because, you know why I don't know? Because you were not there to inform us, Jim Rubin. I'm not trying. I'm not saying it's a bad way. I'm just saying without you, uh, really, we only have TMZ to go to go you on. Got, right, so. You got Tim there. I guess Tim is Tim. No, he's not here. I guess we'll find out later. I, I think the judge. I think Sarah may know this, but I think the judge in the Britney case has yet to really issue a ruling. I think they both came in. Uh, they both stated their case, 
And then I think the judge has yet to actually say anything about it. I think oh, it would... oh, you know, I think the only thing I heard from that is that the judge says Brittany will have to give a deposition, but it will not be videotaped out of fear it will wind up on YouTube. By the way, I, we also did hear this, and we'll have more. I guess I'll Tim cover this later. We do have a Brittany watch coming up later on today. Uh, apparently, and this was uh, Extra said this, and then TMZ confirmed it, that at one what point, yeah, at one point, uh, Brittany apparently went to the. Uh, I know this is. Oh, like the your, bathroom like six times. Or this something? is. I, and this is like your living hell. You've been awake for like three weeks. Wife is angry at you, covering a fire. No leads, no suspects. Exhausted. And here I am making you listen to Brittany stuff fifth hand. Hey, the best part that happens to me is talking to you. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Uh, if I can be the. Uh, if I can be the. I'm trying to come up with an analogy. The thing that does the thing. Uh, but apparently, yeah, Brittany went to the bathroom like six different times during the hearing, every time looking more and more disheveled and distraught, as TMZ said. And then I guess at one point, Brittany leaves the courtroom on Friday to go to the bathroom. She walks by the extra cameras, and she says something like to the effect of, it doesn't even make any sense. I don't even know that it's profane because it's not even really clear what she's referring to she shouts at the camera quote like snort it f it like suck one or something like that i mean i'm trying to find it right and now. again I, I i don't even think that's a sexual reference because snort it like i don't even know what that means uh, so so she shouted like f it suck snort it something or rather like it, 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 it made no sense so right. it said yeah she said I don't know if I can say this. Well, that's anymore. what I'm saying, but there's no context to it. That's true. It's so true. it doesn't says, even eat it, lick it, snort it, f it. And, the, and that's what she said when she came out of the courtroom to extra and, and to us weekly. She doesn't ever clarify what it is, although the snorted indicates that it's, you know, I don't know, whatever. But I mean, or just that her brain isn't really functioning all that well anymore. But uh, so there you go. So I wish we had the audio on that, but that's all we have. So there you go. So see, I'm keeping you in the loop, Jim Roop. Well, does anybody have audio on that? I'd uh, love to hear that. Uh, I would check extra, because apparently she said it to the extra cameras. So if I were you, I would check TMZ, of course, and then check extra, because that is where TMZ got the story from. And apparently she said it to the cameras as she walked by. I looked and couldn't find the audio, but apparently it's out there. So oh, my Lord. She, uh, yeah, there's something that's come dangerously untethered inside her She's head. Darren McGavin yelling out of a furnace. <laughs> extra. You know? All right. Well, my brother, uh, play through the pain, and I hope you get some rest soon. And, uh, of course, I hope, to, I mean, on the one hand, I hope to talk to you tomorrow. On the other hand, each day, I hope that, that you, I don't see your name on the list because I hope you're at home sleeping. Oh, yeah. no, it won't be tomorrow. Oh. I won't have, I won't, if, if I get any time off, it'll be later in the week once they get a better handle on these fires. All right. Well, uh, stay strong, my brother. We'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Jim Roop, ladies and gentlemen, in Los Angeles. There you go. Yeah, we'll do a full Britney watch later with uh, with Tim. All right. I have a couple observations to make. Uh, and then we'll take a break here. We've already done the guy who had sex with a bicycle. Over here. Oh, are you going to read the, um... Yes. Yes, I am, Sarah. Um, I have one observation to make, and then I will read, uh, this email that was sent to Brooke Benkowski on my behalf by one of our listeners. Uh, my observation, though, is this. I was in line at the Safeway, uh, and I was looking at the magazines there, as we always do. And I very, very rarely buy any of the magazines. Every so often I'll buy the Inquirer, because the Inquirer is a great magazine. I try to support it, and their website doesn't really give you anything. Their website's sort of just a bunch of teasers. You can't get a lot of content. They're smart about that. Um, you know, the Inquirer has great stuff, and they don't give it away on the net. They just give you, like, the opening sentence, and you have to buy it, which I will do. Sometimes I'll buy Cosmo, but I'm almost always disappointed with that. Cosmo, the Cosmo is the very definition of, of 
just big tease, a little payoff. I mean, the headlines on Cosmo always make it sound like it's going to be just fantastic show prep. There's never anything good in there. Um, Cosmo does what Maxim does, where they will have on the front cover a huge splash about some exciting piece inside, you know, some some big article that seems like it's going to be fascinating. First of all, they never tell you what page it's on, so you got to sit there and go through the whole goddamn magazine. One page, and the pages are all stuck together by static cling. They're all thin and slick, so they get staticky, and it's full of perfume and, and subscription cards. On like a few of the pages, so you can totally. Find the pages are not goddamn numbered, and of course, I know I've made this complaint before, but there's like 50 pages of ads at the beginning of the magazine before you can even get to the stupid table of contents. Um, and then the article you're looking for always ends up being one tiny column tucked in the corner of a page. Mm-hmm. It's like three sentences. And you're like, why did I just spend $9 on this issue of Cosmo? So I don't do that anymore. But I was looking at the magazines this weekend, and I was looking at the cover of In Touch, which has uh, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie on the cover, and I realized something. I had, I had this sort of moment of clarity. Here's something that I never really thought about, but I have now found, I have discovered one of the methods that I have, I have, I have identified a trick that these magazines do. When, when, when they have decided that you are a villain or that your story is going bad, your personal story arc is going badly, you know what they do? They don't try to make you look bad. They just stop airbrushing you. That's the realization <laughs> I have. Um, if you look at Angelina Jolie on the cover of Women's World or some magazine where she is either being painted in a flattering light or whether it's just neutral, like, you know, Angelina talks about whatever, her favorite kind of sponge cake, uh, they will airbrush the holy hell out of you. Uh, and those magazines do that with everybody. I mean, everybody, even people who are, you know, pretty good looking to begin with, they will airbrush every pockmark, wrinkle, pimple, boil, scar, every single thing gets airbrushed away and you all end up looking like, they all end up looking like Carrie Underwood. Uh, when they've decided, though, that the tables have turned and you are either a bad person or they're trying to show how your life is spiraling out of control... They don't go out of their way on In Touch to make it look bad. They just will not erase any of, of the flaws that are already there. If you get a chance, look at the cover of this week's In Touch magazine. And Brad and Angelina are on the cover, and it, they look terrible. And you can tell that it's, it, it's not like they caught them in mid-sneeze or anything. They just didn't bother to gloss them up. And mm-hmm. i got to tell you, Angelina Jolie, without airbrushing, that's a lot of bad road is what that is. Really? I mean, I'm not saying she's an ugly woman. But I'm saying you are you get so used to seeing her as just this porcelain perfection because of the way that they gloss her up. You see her without airbrushing, that's a whole different story. And Brad Pitt is not aging very well. Brad Pitt isn't isn't very good looking. He has the smoker face. Yeah. Like he's really pory and like really kind of icky. Bingo. That's exactly what it is. It's I mean, he's a good looking man, but I mean, he's not taking care of it. He mm. is not uh he's got to keep polishing that because I mean, that's Really, that's all he's got going for him. He's got that, you know, he's got, he's got that. I mean, he's a decent actor, but there's, you know, there's a billion guys. What is that, that, that sex in the city thing? There's always somebody younger and prettier. Yeah, I'd be damn sure when you get off the ride because they're, yeah, there's a line of people like waiting yeah. to get on. Yeah, Brad Pitt is not attending to his field very well because that face is going to hell in mm-hmm. a handbasket. All right, um, so I'll so do this and then we'll break nothing, but I, so I'll just say, so last week, I think it was last Monday, we talked to this uh, CNN. Former CNN reporter, now working for KNX in Los Angeles, but they had her covering the story. This, uh, I won't call her, well, she was, you know, she, not a second stringer, but, but not somebody who was a regular CNN correspondent. She was sort of a backup correspondent because they were so overworked. Lisa was out of town. Uh, so they were, you know, going, going to, the, to the bench, I guess. Um, Brooke Benkowski, who works at KNX in Los Angeles, a CBS radio station, they brought her in to do some coverage. So we had her on, and you know what? She sounded fantastic. Uh, funny, smart, got our sense of humor. 
uh, somebody found a picture of her from the KNX website, sent it to me. You know, she's a, you know, she's an attractive girl. Uh, her biography makes it seem, you know, she's, she's kind of a comer, as they say. You know, she seems to have a good head on her shoulders. So I had gone on a little bit after the call, as is my want, about, hey, how great does Brooke Finkowski sound? Because we'd never talked to her. I didn't know her from anybody. And so we're like, wow, she sounds really, really great. So the listeners, God bless them, um, decided to start playing uh, uh, Cyrano. And so they uncovered her MySpace page, on which, by the way, there was a photograph of her as some kind of naughty schoolgirl. I want to be very clear about this, that I did not seek out her MySpace page, nor did I seek out the schoolgirl picture. You did. But you can do that and not look creepy. I cannot. But the listeners found her MySpace page and said, hey, check out this picture of that Brooke Benkowski girl in this uh, in the schoolgirl outfit. Hottest balls. And I was like, thank, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Well, one listener, Janice, decided to take it one step further and help me out just a little bit more. So Janice actually messaged Brooke Benkowski via MySpace on my behalf. And, and, and it was like gushing about, how do I put this, was gushing to Brooke about how much I loved her, uh, which is which is great and awkward. So yeah. here's the entire conversation. Um, I will start by giving you the recap from this girl, Janice, this listener who did it, because I had pointed out like how uh, like I was completely unaware of this. She says, hey, Rick, I'm listening to your podcast about the Brooke Benkowski forwarded email. Um, I thought about all those things you said, and that's exactly why I hadn't ever sent along my original email. I did take the ability of saying, uh, take the liberty of saying that you liked her because she's a gamer. Apparently, she plays video games. And so this listener, this listener emailed Brooke apparently and said, like, Rick, you know, Rick really loves you. He especially loves the fact that you play video games. I, I had no idea she played video games. So the listener is just fabricating all of these compliments from me. To Brooke. So I'm sure I look like a stalker now. Um, so what did she say? From her MySpace page, by the way, I figured that would be a compliment to her. Rick, I was trying to present you to Brooke in the best light and not make you sound creepy. Although I must have messed that up by saying that you, quote, loved her. Um, oh, this is so awkward. Then the listener continues to confess. Rick, I was totally intervening and, I, intervening and I was being Cyrano crouching behind a shrub. I knew I really shouldn't be telling Brooke how much you love her. I should have left that to you. Second, I shouldn't send you the email I sent to Brooke in case you're offended about what I wrote to her, but here it is anyway. So, um, anyway. Have a listen. So, what she sent to Brooke. Um, anyway, it's actually not that bad. It's just the whole concept is a little weird. The listener sent Brooke Benkowski a MySpace message saying, Hey, I just heard you on Rick Emerson's Portland, Oregon radio program today, and he, all caps, loved you. <laughs> he couldn't stop talking about what a gamer you were. A gamer? Well, see, now I don't even know what that means. Maybe it's not a video game thing. Is that a reference to her being like, uh, I don't know, just sort of talented? Rick couldn't Maybe. stop talking about what a gamer you were. Is that some lingo that the kids use? He loves people who can play along with him. You're great. I am sending you a friend request. And then, of course, Brooke messaged back to the listener saying, Oh, my God. I'm sorry. OMG. That makes me feel, all caps, so good, two exclamation marks. Tell Rick I'm sorry my phone died halfway through. I'll add you back. Thanks so much, Brooke. So there you go. So Brooke Benkowski, if you play word association and you say Rick Emerson to her, now, of course, immediately thinks about some stalking radio guy in Portland who has some weird unholy lover. Oh, is this her? Let's welcome now uh, to the Rick Emerson Show, Janice. Hi, Janice. Hi, Rick. Hey, how are you? 
good. You know, I didn't mean gamer in the sense of video game. I meant gamer with quotes around it, like a fun gal type gamer. I didn't mean that you liked her because you played video games. See, I didn't know because I haven't actually ever been to Brooke Benkowski's MySpace page. But, no, so. I wouldn't even. I wouldn't be that stupid. She would think you were even weirder if I said you liked her because you played video games. Now, let me ask you this. So you hear? So okay, last... I'm picking up my son at school, so I got to get off in like two minutes. But go ahead. Okay, your your son can wait. This is important. So this <laughs> is. So last week you hear me talking to Brooke Benkowski, and then the, you know, and I commented how great she is. Now. I'm not trying to criticize you. I'm just I'm curious now. What was the thought process that went through your head when you said, you know what, I should go to MySpace and tell Brooke Benkowski exactly how much Rick Emerson loves her? You know, and sadly, I'm the person that said to you know, the picture of her with the school bra outfit. Really? But All right. Anyway, um, you know, I just thought, I thought it would give you more credit. I thought she might come on the show again. I thought she might think you were a cool guy. I didn't mean to, she knows you're a happily married man, as we all do, Rick. Yes, but I, I mean, think, you were, so you were thinking of the show. Correct, exactly. Okay. All right. And I, I wanted to have Brooke, I wanted to hear Brooke again. I enjoyed her myself. And so, okay, so you had, you were thinking of the show and of the audience, and you thought that perhaps the best way uh, to benefit the audience of the program in the long run was to ingratiate Brooke with me and myself with Brooke. Exactly. Okay, all right, that's... And, and Gamer, keep in mind, all, all in the best of the works. One of my best friends called me a Gamer about ten years ago. Now, please, to, sort of... please to use Gamer in a sentence so that I know exactly how it works. She's a cool chick because she's sort of a gamer. I sort of play along. I, you know, I like guys stuff. I'll watch football and I'll talk about sex and that kind of thing. So, so those are the kind. If so you, the, if you talk, so if you call a chick a gamer, it's like saying she's sort of one of the guys. Yeah. Okay. All right. And I think to Brooke, if you look at her MySpace page, I think she'd think that was an See, accomplishment. now I can never. Uh, now I can oh, never I'm look. At, now, sorry. you know what? But the thing is, you know what I cannot do now is I can never add her as a MySpace friend. Like, I have to sort of pull well, back I'll and. Well, add her with the show MySpace. Oh, thanks. I Please do that. I think she took it totally as a compliment. Did you see her response? She, I think she took it totally well, Rick. Uh, I really right. do. Well, we'll see. I have to. No, now I have to be hard to get. See, I have I... to. I now have to, like. Make up for all the horror I caused you. Please I feel do. Bad. All right, now I have to make her pursue me. All right, thank you, Janice. Okay, thanks for the break. All right, we have to break. All right, take a break here. Back after this, Tim Riley, have ye news for us? Oh yes, it never ends. All right, back after. The, oh, Brittany, watch coming up as well. Uh, Tim Riley coming up. Top five. Peter Carlin from the Oregonian. We're going to be giving away a pair of uh, tickets to see Mistress of Reality tomorrow at Mount Tabor. So be listening for that. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Show. Rick Emerson radio program. 503-733-2970 coming up later on. Uh, we have a pair of tickets to see Mistress of Reality tomorrow at Mount Saber. Uh, I'm sorry, Mount Saber Legacy. 
Uh, also, Peter Carlin from the Oregonian going to join us. This at the Ministry of Truth is Tim Riley. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. A lonely Oregon farmer is still looking for Mrs. Wright. A girlfriend wanted a message in his pickup truck has been there seven years. Without a reply, there could have been a match for a lonely farmer who spends most of his free time helping churches. Uh, but Charlie Langdon remains hopeful. You see, it's been a struggle for him. He stands a little over five feet tall and suffers from severe hearing loss. He farms 1,700 acres. He produces grass seed. They ship as far away as Argentina and China. You think if a girl knew that, then she knew it'd be a good catch. He lives alone in a house on the farm. He graduated from Harrisburg High School in 1982 and never went on a date back then. He blames his short stature partly on rickets. As his hearing loss uh, worsened in high school, thanks to a bout with an inner ear disorder and a lifetime of exposure to noisy farm machinery, he knew that was hopeless. We- Can I ask a question? Yes. Why are we reading this story? It's kind of interesting. <laughs> Is this an attempt to drive the audience even closer to suicidal depression? At, at 44, he spends most of his time now working and helping out at God's Storehouse. Maybe God can organization. get him uh, anyway, uh, the lady at God's storehouse says, I call him a prince. He'd be quite a catch for any woman, but still... Maybe, maybe she should date him. Oh, that's true, I see too. she's not willing to go that far. No, I guess she's already married. Okay. So that poor fellow. A uh, competitive eater has already triumphed at a famous hot dog eating contest, swallowing... Eater. Yes. 103 small hamburgers in eight minutes. He took home $10,000. Joey Chestnut... Of San Jose, surprised the previous record, uh, surpassed it, I should say, of 97 Crystal Burgers. Those are two and a half inches square. Uh, I never thought I'd see anyone anywhere near this past record, he said. Chestnut beat 12 other contestants. Even this other fellow, uh, Kabayashi, that Japanese guy who won the uh, previous hamburger eating contest. So I guess the hamburger eating contest winner is back in the U.S. instead of... Japan. So, I mean, does it say, is, we've talked about this a little bit before, does it say what Joey Chestnut does, uh, like, when he's not, uh, you know, doing this? The private life of Joey Chestnut? I mean, really, honestly, what does Joey Chestnut do in his day-to-day life? I am kind of fascinated I'm by it. I'm not sure. Also, ju- there ought to be some sort of a documentary about competitive eating where they actually just sort of break down exactly the physiology of how this works. You know what I mean? Because, really, how many of these did he eat? He ate 103. 100? Uh, where does it all go? I mean, really, where, where do 103 well, we're not hot there dogs after the competition go? That is, that is true, I guess. I just don't really know where 103 hot dogs go inside a man, hmm. so to speak. Well, whatever. What can you do? No, nothing. Uh, oh, it's time for a... Is this a, a corpse? I'm not sure what kind of watch it is, but Porter Wagner's dead. Oh, this is a snuff watch. A snuff watch. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your snuff watch for a Monday on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. is dead. He was 80. He was known for a string of country hits in the 60s. Appearances at the Grand Ole Opry and his uh, trademark rhinestone suits. And of course, launching the career of Dolly Parton. Like many performers, his star faded in recent years, but his death from lung cancer Sunday came only after a remarkable late career revival that won him a new generation of fans. He was born in Missouri, signed to RCA in 1955, joining the Opry in 1957. He had his own syndicated TV show, The Porter Wagner Show, for 21 years, beginning in 1960. It was one of the first syndicated shows to come out of Nashville and set a pattern for many others. 
Among his many hits, many of which he co-wrote, were uh, Carroll County Accident, A Satisfied Mind, Company's Coming, Skid Row Joe, Misery Loves Company, and Green Green Grass of Home. Really? I didn't know he wrote that. Yes. A Green Green Grass of Home. That's a great song. His final album, The Wagon Master, was released in June and earned him some of the best reviews of his career. Over the summer, he was the opening act for the influential rock duel White Stripes at a sold-out show at New York's Madison Square Garden. Uh, also... He recorded with Dolly Parton. Well, that's kind of what he's always going to be known for. He, for good or bad, Porter Wagner will always be known as the guy who launched Dolly Parton's career. Uh, you know, that is where the one of those things where the pupil really does exceed, uh, you know, the, the teacher in every way because she'd really outstripped his fame. But that was kind of his deal. Is he, uh, you know, he sort of made her. He hired the 21-year-old singer as his debut partner in 1967 when she was just beginning to gain notice through songs such as "Dumb Blonde." Uh, two quit singing duets in 1974. She went on to worldwide stardom with pop hits and movies such as Nine to Five. So Porter Wagner was 80 years old. There's your snuff watch for uh, Monday on the Rick Emerson Show. He wore those. He wore those rhinestone-covered jackets. Too. Yes, he did. Porter. I barely knew her. Wagner. I barely knew her. Sorry. Here's Tim Riley. The Homeland Security chief tore into his own employees was staging a phony news conference at the FEMA place. I think it was one of the dumbest and inappropriate things I've ever seen the government, said Michael Chertoff. Apparently, they forgot about Hurricane Katrina. I have made it absolutely clear in Anglo-Saxon prose, that's what he says, that this is not ever to happen again. And there'll be disciplinary action taken against those people who exhibited what I regard as extraordinary poor judgment. As specifically, if he planned to fire anyone, uh, he declined to comment. Uh, there'll be appropriate discipline, he said. He knew nothing about the matter until it happened. Okay. And he can't explain why it happened. Fantastic. Uh, so Fever gave reporters only 15 minutes' notice about the news conference, but because of the short notice, the agency made available an 800 number so reporters could call in like that was going to happen. <laughs> Uh, they said in the statement, FEMA's goal is to get information out as soon as possible. Uh-huh. Our intent is to provide useful information so we can all do much better. So uh, nobody will be punished. Nobody. Oh, by the way, here's a little fun fact from our friend Nate Baker, who works at K2 and was covering. Remember that guy, that Manson-looking guy we were talking about last oh, yeah. week? Who The guy who shot the police dog. There are quite a few of them out there. And it was undoubtedly beaten savagely by the cops when they got him. So this is sort of darkly funny. It, it was just, he was apparently... I would, man, I wish I had the footage for this, and I and I don't think they ever aired it. I think Nate was, this is probably, and I'm not speaking out of school here, but I, I do believe, you know, they just film more footage than they ever could have possibly used, because on the news, whatever, you know, they talk, and then the, every story gets 90 seconds, and they show 10 seconds of footage, and then and it's the not And the machine lighting. runs whatever it wants. Yeah, that's true. And then the automation system just takes over. Um... But I guess the guy is just flat out screaming crazy. Apparently, when he went into and out of the courtroom, according to Nate, he was... Flashing a lot of devil horns and screaming, because we mentioned how much he looked like Manson. Apparently, yeah. that's not a coincidence, because he was yelling things, including, quote, Manson rules, like, as he was coming out of, as he was coming out of court. That's not necessarily true, though. No, it's, that's a subjective opinion. Mm -hmm. um, but this is, so, get this, though. So he's in court, and when he's not busy shouting Charles Manson rules, as part of his, you know, they say, do you have anything to say for yourself before we, you know, do whatever? And he says... Yes, I should have shot the other dog while I was at it. No, no, but wait, the payoff. Then he pleads not guilty. <laughs> yeah. Which is, I mean, 
You do kind of have to laugh at that because then you just realize you're dealing with someone where there is just no connectivity between the tissue uh, inside his head. I should have shot the underdog, not just the first one. Also, I'm not guilty. So there you go. Thank you for providing a little bit of bleak entertainment on an otherwise dreary day, sir. And it makes you wonder how he got away so long without doing anything else that was bad that got him sent to prison. Well, really, I, what's he been doing up until then? I think any cop will tell you that about 90% of the time that they catch somebody, it really is not, no disrespect to the cops, not because of anything the cops do, just because mm. criminals are just so dumb. But it does, I mean, he's like 35. I mean, how is it that he even lived this long without inadvertently yeah. falling into like a pulping machine somewhere? He just he just seems like off the charts stupid and crazy. So, you know, well, all right. It's uh, like, what did he do every day when he got up until that point? I, I don't know. Uh, hey, who wants to hear the sound of the incredible giant crab? Oh, I do. So I finally got is this the one with a big smile. This. No, that's an octopus. Oh, okay. That's a squid. This is not a smiling creature. No, no, it's an eating creature, Tim. So this is from Sounds of Terror. Oh. And this is why I love A, our audience, and B, the Internet, in that order. Because I, you were playing... You should play one of your sound effects by way of comparison. So we were playing cheesy sound effects earlier, and I mentioned how there was this vinyl record that a friend of mine had that I dubbed onto audio cassette when I was a kid. And it had all of these bizarre sound effects. Like it had the monster mash and mummies and whatever. But then it had sound effects that just didn't make any sense, like a man being keel-hauled. So I did find one of them here. Go ahead and play one of yours by comparison, Tim. What is this? This is a woman screaming... To eat by a man-eating creature or a lady-eating creature. All right. Now, I have not heard this sound effect since I was about ten years old, by the way. So we are going to be the crab one. This is called the incredible giant crab. Now I have not heard this since I was. Uh, it's been probably twenty-five years since I've heard the sound effect. Let's see if it holds up and if it's as weird as I remember it being. Go ahead and is my computer up there? All right, here we go. From the deep, deep darkness of the Pacific Ocean came a creature that terrorized Tokyo, rampaged through Hawaii, then began to claw and crush its way into San Francisco. Nothing could stop the incredible giant crab. This isn't really terrifying. Sounds like kind of a tap dance. We are being attacked by Sabian Glover. I could do a better joke. I should have. I should have done. You know what? I should have. I should have gone a different way instead of Sabian Glover. I. Uh, she still sounds like she has time to get away, though. I suppose the crab. How fast can a crab possibly go, even if it's giant? All right. Wait, what did you be... Oh, hold now. I don't remember how the sound effect unfolds. Now, so there's the crab, I guess, attacking her. And it's funny how it's attacking San Francisco, and there's one person screaming. <laughs> Apparently, she's the only person in San Francisco. Uh, and you can hear the ocean in the background clearly is sounding like it does not sound in San Francisco. Do we want to bet that the, that the crab catches her? Well, Or does she get away? No, think? I think she's going to stand there and scream. Yeah, I think the crab's going to get her. All right. Yeah, she's gotten. Maybe it's even Pringles. Sounds like Pringles. Mm -hmm. Sounds like Tim's Cascade potato chip. Oh, yeah. Well, if it's her, she's going down without a whimper. 
Well, and how big could the crab... I mean, this and is how gonna, crunchy are people? I was also going to say, the crab can't be that big because he's taken a lot of time to devour her. Many bites it's taking him. He might be on one of these small towns around here, though. He's not chewing, either. This is just biting. And off the crab goes into the night. That was terrifying. Was it really? <laughs> was that really a sound of terror? Who wants to hear another one? Oh, I do. Okay. <laughs> do you want to hear keel-hauled or... I want, hear, I want to hear more people being eaten. Do you want, okay, here's what we've got on this. It's in two parts. Here's what you've got to choose from. Buried alive, burned at the stake, the exorcism... Victims of the guillotine, curse of a zombie, keel hold, torture chamber, blob, or nightmare of lost souls. I like the nightmare of the lost souls. Nightmare of All lost right. souls it is. Okay, hold on. Let me, uh, let me extract this file. All right, hold on a second. And uh, extracting now. All right. Now I had to... Uh... All right, let's see. Where did this go? <laughs> All right. So, let's see. Nightmare of Lost Souls. All right. Let's see what that sounds like. I mean, what does that even... Okay. The graveyard at night has driven many a poor soul to utter madness. If you value your sanity, do not stray into the evil darkness that surrounds the tombs. I really should be saving this for Halloween, but I just can't wait. Here, ghosts wail and moan. Skeletons rattle, trying to escape their imprisoning coffins. Grimacing skulls gasp. There's nothing that isn't scarier with reverb. You have entered... The Nightmare of Lost Souls. <laughs> I cannot even fathom how low the budget for this record must have been. You know, and you know that these guys were like unemployed voice actors. Oh, I know. It's so depressing to think about. They were union voice actors who were paid $4 an hour to do this. Every one of these guys probably did Shakespeare at some point. Played Willie Loman. I'm done with this. All right, I'll do one more here. I want to hear the keel hold. Right, this is keel hold from... <laughs> In olden days, the crew of a sailing ship often... Sailing ship, not sailing ship. That's funny how he's, he's sort of switching up accents, and he's dropping his G now because he's, uh, he's talking about ye old keel hauling time. In olden days, the crew of a sailing ship often included unfortunate wretches who were kidnapped while either drunk or drunk. For an infraction of the captain's orders, the offender could be punished by the inhuman practice of heel hauling. The arms of the victim were lashed to long ropes held by the crew. He was thrown off the bow of the ship and dragged along the barnacle-encrusted keel. Why did they give this? Okay, can I point out that my friend was like nine when they gave this to him? <laughs> Who gives they, This is clearly not a purchase that was pre-screened before being given to the child. Battered and bleeding body. <laughs> no prey to man-eating sharks. Well, okay. I like the little hesitant. I do like the little setup that he gives.
kind of disturbing, actually. Okay, they're just looping that one stream over and over. <laughs> They're not doing a very good job of pulling him in. These things turn right. <laughs> the end. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, okay. That one is exactly as disturbing as I remember it being. All right. I got. Oh, we got like we like 15 more of those. Uh, I'll take us call, then we'll take a break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey, Rick. I just wanted to let you know, <clears throat> excuse me, DJ Sushi did a really killer remix of that attack of the incredible giant crab. Really? It's on Pirate Radio 100, uh, the disc. Uh, it's got, if you like Q-Bert and any of that, like Invisible Scratch Pickles, those so this guys. Is, so a DJ took that, that attack of the crab thing and then like did uh, like a remix of it? Really cool remix, though. I right. mean, it's it's a lot of scratching, but it's really fly. Uh, it's on Pirate Radio 100. All right, I'll keep an ear out for it, sir. Thank you. All right, there you go. All right, well, that was actually pretty disturbing there at the end. All right, we should take a break here. Uh, we come back. Peter Carlin from the Oregonian. Uh, later on, more from Tim Riley. Now and the Caveman Show. Yes, who's been turned around on the Caveman Show, apparently. He now believes it's worth every minute of time that you can possibly spare. Later on, a pair of tickets to the Mistress of uh, Reality as well. You stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Don't go anywhere. Oh, baby, baby, how was I supposed to know? Well, this is not a real momentum builder here. Oh, pretty baby. How are you feeling this bit went today? I think it's interesting. I think this is exactly the kind of thing that builds time spent listening, sir. I, uh... This is what turns Cube to core. No, this is doing nothing for me. This seemed much more interesting last night, this particular version. She's sort of a female Richard Cheese. No, we should go back to the, uh... the Rick Emerson Radio Program. 503-733-2970. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Show. Coming up later on, tickets to Mistress of Reality. All right, it's uh, 503-733-2970. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Radio Program from the Oregonian, uh, Peter Carlin, uh, television critic and raconteur. Hello, sir. Hey, man. Hey, what's... Hey, man. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? I'm dandy. Hey, so let's get right to the issue of contention today. So you've been turned around on the Caveman Show. Oh, well, you know, I kind of liked it from the get-go. The, the original pilot... Uh, that's a, this that is, is dr no, this is revisionist history happening right here before our ears. This is a drastic revision of the text. You did this. You actively despised it. You hated no, it. I don't believe that's true. Oh, I'm telling you right now, we could do an insta poll of the audience, and 100 out of 100 will side with us on this. They're all morons, though. <laughs> they listen to your show. It's exactly that kind of spark that endears you to the people out there who tune in on a daily basis, my friend. No, I was just talking about the 100 people you would call, not the not not all the brilliant ones who are, who who wouldn't 
put up with that kind of nonsense I, from you. I don't recall you liking the program at all. In fact, I recall you calling it toothless and pointless, and I'm pretty sure. Well, dude, that was, you see, but check it out. That was the rejiggered pilot that they did when they got so scared when people began to accuse them of being racist. Oh, I see. Okay, so here's the... The original pilot that nobody saw, save for a bunch of TV critics and industry douchebags, was actually pretty funny. <laughs> But then it was like the network was all, oh, no, we're scared. And so then they cut out all the sort of trenchant social commentary and put in, like, people falling down and yelling and stuff. Now, here's the thing. So you know what this is right here? This is like, a, uh, this is like when a record is released and everybody pans the record. And then the snooty in the no critic, let's call him Schmieder Schmarlin, <laughs> says, says, yeah, but you should have heard the four track demo, uh, you know, before the record company, the before a they sold out. before the A and R man got a hold of them. You should have heard what they were doing in the clubs. It was real raw. Yeah, this is sort of like, you know, this because I have a friend, and here's why I say that because I have a friend of mine who makes exactly that speech about the Elvis Costello record, Goodbye Cruel World, um, and he and he will sort of go, yeah, that record is real toothless and denuded. The A and R guy, the A and R cat. Uh, yeah. Really watered it down, but Elvis you know, was they screwed it up in the mix. When, totally. When Elvis was in the club doing that, it was it was real street. Um, <laughs> well, here's the thing. Here's the thing about Caveman is that a the version that did make it to the air, the the, the pilot, which is the only version I ever saw. Yeah. Wasn't without a racial allegory. It just—I mean—it was certainly there. It just wasn't very interesting. Yeah, I know because they cut out the interesting stuff. I mean, but now they okay. like for whatever reason the most the last couple episodes were actually pretty funny. Now I'm not crazy about the show. It's not—it's no like curb your enthusiasm. It's no Thirty Rock. It's not like a show I go to the mat for. All I'm saying is it was one of these shows that came to the air and people were all like it's the worst thing that's ever happened and it's like well no actually it's so much better than back to you say it's not, which I think is excruciating it's, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard it's not the worst thing that's ever happened I, my whole thing with, with the caveman show is it was simply sort of a failed experiment which I you know what and to, look I'll be frank I would rather watch a failed experiment than something that's just sort of mediocre but did you did you just tell me that the only episode you saw was the pilot yeah okay well then I'm about to tell you you saw the worst episode by far well Pilots, I do try to cut pilots a little slack because it's always about, like, in fact, uh, I was watching um, the West Wing pilot a few weeks back, and it, it's still great, but, it, it, you know, it, it's not second season great or even first season halfway through great because basically the job of a pilot is just to get you up to speed. You're priming the pump. Yeah. Um, my thing about, and again, I, I have only saw the one, my whole thing with, the, with that pilot was, this is the realization I came to the next day, that if you were watching the show, it was funny. But if you shut your eyes for a while, which I would occasionally do, and just listen to the show, it was no longer funny. And that was because, to me, the whole shtick was the juxtaposition of modern thing with ancient guy. Like, you know, caveman, but he's drinking a latte. Caveman, but he's playing racquetball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, the thing is, a uh, again, you saw the weakest of okay. all the episodes. So are you, now let's just pin you down on this once and for all. So you are saying I need to give the caveman show another chance. Yeah, 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 totally. Go to, um... ABC.com and check out the episode that aired last week. Okay. W what do I get uh, from you if I don't like it still? Just whatever. I don't know. Smugness.
uh, no, then I'll, I'll inform you that you must not have understood it. <laughs> yeah, please. <do>. Yeah. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> Tell me that I'm not, I'm not getting the subtext. Yeah. All right. That can be like a, nuance. That can be like a friend who constantly lectures me about why I don't get Captain Beefheart records. <laughs> yeah, no, no, dude, you're just you're just not listening with the right ears. You, and then this. Okay, here's another thing. This different guy, same sort of rock snob mentality. I sure. would complain about it, about the music he listened to, and like, and Captain Beefheart was one of those guys. And I would go like, this is the worst crap I have ever heard. And he would go, this works so much better visually, but he would go, no, no, no. And he would point to his head, don't listen with these ears. And then he would sort of tap like his chest and go, listen with these ears. And I don't even know what that means. Listen with these ears, like the ears on his nipples, apparently. Listen to the ears on your breasts. Maybe it means that it actually doesn't sound very good, but if you... But it, but it's, I don't know, it's a nice idea. But it looks good sitting in your, in your, like, in your record yeah. collection next to your Velvet Underground box set. There you go. All right. Well, okay. So I'll give it a chance based solely on your say-so, Peter Carlin. Yeah. Um, let me ask you a question about something that I only saw, and again, this is another where I was filtered through the prism of other media. I was, my wife was watching The Soup the other day, and they were doing, The Soup is great because it's sort of a cliff's notes for the best and worst in American television culture. Uh, and they were talking about Viva Laughlin. Oh, yeah. Here's the thing. I don't know anything about that show, and I guess it's too late now because it's canceled. Yes. But what, was that like a cop rock kind of a thing? Kind of. Like it was a musical, but they were singing. It was like a soap opera, but where they would burst into song. Yeah, it was. It was it, What it was was totally misbegotten because they would burst, but they wouldn't really sing. They would just kind of mutter. It was like karaoke more than anything. Only the vocals were, the, the real vocals were turned up that much higher. And it just, it just I, it's even hard to do a post, uh, uh, you know, a, a post, what do you call it? Post-modern. Post-mortem on the thing. Ah. Because it's just like. The whole thing, it was like a three-headed baby. You know, it just was never going to live. <laughs> you know, just like, ah, the whole thing is wrong. It was, it was that which should not be. Yeah, just like you. <laughs> Next. <laughs> as, um, as, as Dr. Hibbert said on an episode of uh, The Simpsons, when, on the, it's a treehouse of horror when there's like a, a Maggie is born with tentacles. And, and somebody said, how do you cure this? And Dr. Hibbert says, with fire and lots of it. <laughs> So, um, eh, all right, well, so there you go. So it's not even worth watching as a novelty. Excellent. I'll check it off my list. Um, let me also, and you have a, a, a recent column about this writer's strike, and I can never get my head around what this really means. So when this, when this writer's strike, is this movies and TV or just TV or just certain types of TV? It's it's all like dramas and it's everything but like news and reality. So now I am interested in that though because the reality programs, as we all know, even if they are not fully scripted, mm. clearly there is someone. I mean, a lot of those shows who script out a generalized story arc, and so it, it will be interesting to see. I would be interested to see how reality programs really are affected by a writer's strike. They won't be because their writers aren't covered by that deal. Dig? Is that? But is that true? Is it that they, 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 they just go on. They just putter right on. It's like nothing happened. It's all the shows where people, because the the, the the guild or the union or whatever, they just, I mean, those guys aren't covered in the same way that um, news writers aren't covered. It's just dramatic writers. And so what happens, so what is the practical impact of me, the television viewer, uh, as this strike goes on? First of all, why are they on strike? Is this, I mean, I know the they're writers... not yet. They may be. They are, they, they may be, because I know the Writers Guild is traditional. I think, aren't they just like the weakest, most ineffectual uh, union of any kind? I mean, aren't they just sort of legendarily uh, pointless? I mean, I know Harry Shearer actually has complained about that over and over. That the Writers Guild is just useless. Um, and well, Harry's a... 
funny guy, but he's a bit of a catch. So. I, I suppose. So anyway, so so for me, the actual TV viewer, what is the impact going to be if the strike happens? I mean, is my uh, is my, is the is the uh, the glass teat suddenly going to run dry? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I, what's going to happen is the writers are going to stop writing shows. So then, ab- eventually, after their backlog of stuff they've stored up ends, they won't have any more shows to shoot. So then they shut down production. But th- now is this? But is this not a thing where they can bring in like? Oh, that sounds weird. Like scab writers. Um. Because I mean that's what no. everybody, that's what every other business does, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I remember when the NFL guys went on strike and they just like went down to the docks and they just found out. a bunch of guys unloading pipe off of ships and said, "Hey, do you want to play football?" Yeah. So. Well, I, you know, I, I, that doesn't seem to happen in L.A. I don't know why, but it just doesn't. All right. Maybe, I mean, you know, writers, they're mean. They'll, they'll beat up the other people, the writers, other children. I know writers. They're just temperamental dicks. Isn't that right, Peter Carlin? Huh? What? <laughs> What's that supposed to mean? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> okay. So they'll be sort of weird. Actually, I think it's going to be kind of interesting because they're going to start importing all kinds of strange shows from Europe and beyond. And, uh, you know, there'll be more sort of improvisation. Because remember, the last major writer's strike was in 1988. And after a month or two, um, went on for like 22 weeks. And um, uh, Carson and uh, David Letterman went back on the air and began to just wing it. You know, right. they'd have their guests, but they would fill that other half of the show that was, you know, used to be just comedy written by writers. They would, like, write it themselves with, like, one or two producers. Or just, like, that was the famous episode where Letterman just sat on stage and a barber came up and shaved him. Uh, and he just he just rapped with this guy that, for, like, 20 minutes. That kind of stuff, just to actually, just to take a little side road here, to take the exit ramp, Mark Letterman. I was actually talking to some guys who work at KUFO about this the other day. We were talking about the... Because isn't this... This year and next year is Leno's last year, and then they're brooming him out and bringing Conan in, right? Yeah. Uh, and then they're going to replace Conan. And I'm presuming that's because Conan O'Brien at one point threatened to walk. Well, uh, they wanted to keep him on board. Yeah. They were doing a uh, proactive thing. They didn't want him to go all Letterman on them. And they bought him off by saying, look, we'll, we'll, we'll kick Leno out in a couple years. Yeah. And, uh, it's, and, it, anyway, it, and it's interesting how that, that Leno thing, as for as big a drama as that was, getting Leno in there and that whole late shift thing, as Bill Carter famously wrote about, that really, Leno is just, just, no one really cares. He's just sort of a big glass of warm water, you know? Yeah. He's just sort of there. But we were talking about Letterman, and we were talking about these things that Letterman does. He just has such a finely tuned sense of the absurd. Yeah. I, there are two great moments that stand out. One is this episode, uh, uh, the, the Letterman show, where for no readily apparent reason, the camera just rotated 360 degrees over the course of the night. Yeah. And so if you tuned in halfway through, the show was just upside down. And then if you tuned in 50 minutes later, the show was tilted, you know, 45 degree. And then at the end of the show, the camera was right set up again. And they just never addressed it. It was just never talked about. Yeah. The second thing is, and I'm the only person I have ever met who saw this. Okay. Me and the guy I was with, when I was about 17, I was over at a friend's house. We're watching Letterman. And for no readily apparent reason, which is the, the genius of Letterman that he never even addressed it, um, the entire show was dubbed in Spanish and subtitled in English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like for no reason. No, I remember those days. And used to do, that was the, the era of the monkey cam. Exactly, where the monkey was on skates. No, he was just running around. I don't think he was on was skates. Was he not on skates? I'm thinking of the Simpsons. I think he crossed these monkey. Yeah, no, um, he was just he just had a helmet on with a with a little camera on top and uh and that was and, and he was just darting you know, just they let him loose around the studio so he was sprinting around and climbing things and every so often the uh 
you know, Hal Gurney, the director, would just cut to the monkey's perspective. So Dave would be interviewing Terry Gar, but then suddenly the perspective would shift and you would see them just out of the corner of this while the monkey was tearing across the studio. <laughs> so the monkey's perspective was just these little people. That he was completely ignoring them because they had strung ropes and sure. things. And he was swinging around and jumping off of tires. I mean, it's just stuff. great. I mean, it's just genius. The one moment that sticks out to me from that show I was referencing where, we just tuned in like, what, do you want to watch Letterman? Sure. We tune into Letterman. The whole show was being dubbed in Spanish and then it's, it's, so we're reading the show with English subtitles and the guest that night was Sam King. Kinnison. And so hearing Sam Kinnison dubbed badly by a Spanish voice actor uh-huh. and then reading the text in English. So, you know, Kinnison had that famous scream. So the guys are like, no, ah, ah. You know? <laughs> and, then, and then reading across the bottom, like seeing Kinnison scream, attempting, they're attempting to phonetically render it across the bottom of the screen. And it's just sort of like a string of A's. With like a capital H and then an exclamation mark at the end. It was just fantastic. It really was just amazing. Uh, let's see here. Somebody has a question for you. This is Greg. Greg, hello. You're on with the lovable Peter Carlin. Hey, Rick. Uh, Peter, I wanted to ask you about Friday Night Lights because it's a show that I held off on because I knew I would like it and okay. figured it was going to be canceled because they do that with all the good shows, all of the nine. Um, I'm just wondering how it's doing in the ratings and if... I'm kind of hesitant to invest myself in a show because I always get really pissed off when I cancel it. Well, first of all, I think you're a very sensitive person. And <laughs> second of all... Um, Quit being a pussy. That's what he's trying to say. <laughs> no, I think it's actually doing better where they have it now. Friday night, on Fridays, the, 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 uh, the, the stakes are kind of low because hardly anyone watches TV. But... Um, uh, uh, but I think it's been doing a little better, and I think it's like its demos, as they say, have taken a good uptick. So they may hang on to it through the season, I guess. But the problem is, is if again the strike is sort of becomes kind of an intangible, because if it, everything goes out of production, that gives them a lot of the executives a certain excuse to just bail on on certain bubble shows that they don't want to, uh, you know, that are too expensive or aren't aren't panning out. Um, right on. The way that well, they thanks, thanks for your time, guys. I appreciate it. It's a great show. You should watch it. I mean, the thing is, it's already 22 hours worth, and uh, you know that's that's already there, and and now there's going to be at least another 10 or 15 episodes. So it's like you know 30 hours of a great of a great you know TV show. Well, you know, and I'm going to buy the DVD set uh, just because I'd like to support that show and 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 uh, and, and Peter Berg, who sort of has a kind of a sputtering movie career. Well, um, no, you know, he's huge. He's quite huge. Well, because he had that The Kingdom, which just came out, but now I don't know how that's doing, but it, it seems like he swings and he gets a lot of base hits, but I don't think he's ever really you had a home run. amazing thing about Peter Berg is, yeah, I went to college with him briefly. Mm-hmm. We had the same economics class, and uh, when when I when we were in college together in the early 80s... Was he a jerk then? Yes. Okay. He was three years older than me. Uh-huh. Now, through the miracle of showbiz... He's four years younger than I am. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? That is fantastic. Yeah. I, Peter Berg first came to my attention when he played what's-his-name in the Wes Craven film Shocker, uh, which is like a terrible film. It's like the worst B-movie. Uh, and it, it just and just a big marble-mouthed bastard uh, just talked like this, like he had a bunch of extra teeth in his mouth. Um Really, he just he he spoke. I'm not trying to knock him. He, he's a good, he's a great director, uh, and he made Friday Night Lights the movie, which is probably my favorite sports film of all time. But when he spoke, it was like he had three extra rows of teeth and a saliva he couldn't quite get rid of fast enough. Well, maybe that was just a dramatic choice he made. He <laughs> yeah, was but, also really good in <laughs> yeah. The Last Seduction. Remember that? Yeah, and then he made the, and then he made very bad things, which is sort of a. 
a darkly amusing film. And he's so. involved in all kinds of like groovy with all kinds of groovy movies and TV things and stuff. He seems like a, a actually an interesting creative guy who's really got it going on. The thing about Friday Night Lights is, and again, I, I will definitely buy it. And if it gets canceled, it gets canceled. But I, you know, but it's the same reason I'll buy the Studio 60 box set because even if that show you're buying the Studio 60 I, box, you know, here's okay. I know I'm a tool and I'm a mark, but here's the thing. <laughs> Your ill-concealed contempt. Dude, you should really. So you you ought to advance order the caveman box. <laughs> I I here's the thing is I feel bad for Aaron Sorkin even though he turned in kind of a mediocre program. I just you know I want to pat him on the head and be like okay well you know better luck next time pal keep writing you, you know. Think he needs the dough. I it's not that he needs the dough. It's I want to give him a positive effort. It's like when your dog does something right, and you and you pet him on the head. Like when you when you tell your dog to roll over and he does, you but give him a treat. What if your dog writes a bad show? It doesn't mean <laughs> you, you gotta your, watch it just because he's your dog. You tell your dog to roll over and he writes Viva Laughlin. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, it's like bad dog. Exactly. No, <laughs> into the kennel you go. All right, I'm just gonna go out on that joke. Uh, is there anything coming up this week other than Caveman that I need to care about? Um, what is, you know, I was starting to watch the unit, uh, again. The, the Mammoth thing. Yeah, the David Mammoth, Sean Ryan thing, which is really cool. And, and actually, you know, it's, it's mainstream drama, TV, military drama, but, but it's that, it's all that stuff only done really well. And, uh, and plus it's got, uh, Dennis, uh, Haysbert in it, you know, who was the president on right. 24. And he's, something about that guy, I just want to be his son. He seems really cool. Creepy. Okay. Excuse me? I'm sorry. Do you want to wear a bonnet, too? <laughs> I just want... Click. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, just as, just to cap all of this, um, uh, several people have emailed now. Rick, uh, you are both right. They did eventually have Zippy the Chimp on skates. Uh, so the the chimp actually did wear skates at one point, and then uh, okay. the, the, both emailers seem to agree on this. The joke ended when Zippy clipped Letterman on the heels one night with his skates. Suddenly, no more Zippy. So, so apparently, the the chimp collided with Letterman at one point while on roller skates, and that was the last time anybody saw the chimp. Uh, fantastic. All right, read him in print in the Oregonian online at OregonLive.com and worship him in all media. Peter Carlin. Thank you, sir. All right, man. All right, God bless you. That's Peter Carlin. There you go. I dig that guy. Fantastic. I know that I know that every time I say I dig that guy, there's a bunch of people angrily gripping their radios and phones. But you know what? That's just part of the charm. So we're going to have to deal with your disappointment. He's the Peter Carlin. He is. Um, all right. Well, we got a break here. We're behind. I'll come back. Tim Riley uh, after this. Yes. Tim Riley coming up and other things. And then uh, like us at 3, Donna Mike at 7 and uh, so forth. He said there's the Rick Emerson Show. I'm already sick of this gimmick. But I mean, come on, give me credit for trying something kind of funny. You did. You tried something new. Nothing but versions of Baby One More Time. Do we have another break? Yes. Okay, so I got one more. That'll work out perfectly. Oh, hey, do you want to hear the worst thing ever? And by worst, I mean fantastic, and then we'll go to the news here with Tim. Uh, so just when you think that Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley cannot whore anything else, have you seen these uh, the, the tooth tunes? They're toothbrushes uh, that play music right into your brain. 
Because the deal is, you know, that your jawbone conducts sound. So they, they sell these toothbrushes now. And the shtick is it plays two minutes of music. And that's how you know because you're supposed to brush for two minutes. And they, they estimate that's how long it takes to clean out your teeth. So it plays two minutes of music. So when the song ends, you're done brushing. So you're supposed to brush until the music ends. But the deal is it's like an electric toothbrush. You press it. It starts going and playing the song. But you can't hear it unless it's touching your teeth. And when it touches your teeth, oh, it, like, awesome. beams the song, like, right into your ear canal. So, of course... It, who was the first band to immediately take advantage of this? It's Kiss, of course. Choo Choo, the only toothbrush that puts two minutes of music in your mouth. And featuring rock and roll all night from the new DVD collection by Kiss. Choose Two, brush never rock this hard. <laughs> yeah. Sound will very well brushed. Incidentally, by the way, the best part of this is... Choose Two, brush never rock this hard. Also the what fact... What's Pitzenbarger doing in there? <laughs> I was just going to say, <laughs> it's funny you say that, because while that is Paul Stan. Stanley, that is not Gene Simmons. I say this as a longtime member of the Kiss Army. That's Paul Stanley, but that is not Gene Simmons saying that. I can spot Paul Stanley, and I can spot a fake Gene. And that, that, that is yeah, that, that, yeah, whoever that is, that's like whoever Gene sends to do his stuff when he doesn't feel like showing up that day. As long as I get paid, it doesn't matter. Just uh, say this. Two, two, brush never rock this hard. Here's Tim Riley, ladies and gentlemen. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Well, there are no takers for that Oregon meteorite that was stolen from the Indians that was being auctioned off in New York. Apparently, this uh, was supposed to be sold for $83,000. It is a 30-pound chunk of the Lament meteorite that was found in 1902. And steeped in controversy over its ownership, and nobody wanted it. So uh, I'm sure. I'm sure now that nobody wants it, they'll give it back to the Indians. Yes. I'm sure that'll be the first thing on on Whitey's agenda. Nobody wants this. Maybe we should give it back to the people from whom we stole they it. They don't appreciate things oh, like no, that. They can't be trusted. With no, it. they can't. They <laughs> such children. Uh, just in time for Halloween, the Paul Lind Halloween Special. Are you kidding me? No, it's an hour-long variety extravaganza, no. unseen since its 1976 ABC no. broadcast. Do you know who stars on the Paul Lind Halloween Special? I do. Two-two, rushing never rock this hard. Imagine that. Among the other guest stars, Betty White, Donnie and Marie, the Paul Lind, Henderson. The Paul Lind Halloween Special is legendary among Kiss fans because it only mm-hmm. aired once. Yep, they only aired once. Kiss is on it. Kiss performs on it. I can't remember if Ace showed up that night or if Ace was actually too drunk to appear. I think there might have actually been a threesome on that night because I think I think Ace might have actually never even shown up for that event, and that's before they knew well enough to have a fake Ace like waiting in the wings everywhere. Um, so, yeah, that's only ever been seen once. When yep. is it going to be on? No, no, it's available on DVD. <gasps> really? For the first time ever. Totally buying that. Yep. Make sure you get it. Two-two, rushing never rock this hard. Time for the Britney watch. Here's your Br- oh, excellent. Here's your Britney watch for Monday. Britney and her ex-husband fought a court battle over custody of their two young sons. A publisher said that the pop star's mother is writing a book about parenting. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just choked on something. Religious publisher Thomas Nelson says it'll pun, uh, punish uh, publish, <laughs> publish 
Pop Culture Mom, A Real Story of Fame and Family in the Tabloid World by Lynn Spears. Uh, the spokesman said the book will be out next spring and will be about uh, Lynn Spears raising three children and will have a religious element. I wonder if we could get Lynn Spears on the program. Oh, that'd be good. I bet we could. Okay, we should totally try to get Lynn Spears on the program because I've heard this. Uh, We've given up on Scott Baio. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I was never really interested in Scott Baio. That was all Scotty. Scotty. Was. Scotty mm. We have some other people coming up, uh, some other guests that we're going to be talking to over the next few weeks, I think, some people that we're sort of booking, uh, but uh, and Richie's helping us out with that. But I, it, Scott Baio, not one of those people. Why? Don't care. Never care. That was only to placate Scotty. We'll never let him on the show, no, no. matter how much he begs. No, not, no matter how much pleading. That pesky Scott Baio. God damn it, Scott Baio. That's that's sort of like a separate thing. God damn it, make Scott Bailey be alone. Uh, I mean, his 50 minutes are over anyway. Just the idea, though, of Lynn Spears publishing a parenting book. I mean... That's like Dina Lohan publishing one. And I guess I should be horrified by it. I'm not. It's just like... This culture just, we have no bottom in this culture. We I keep waiting for us to hit bottom and just to hit like the most just insane, absurd, most tasteless. I mean, but there's just no, there's no end to how low we will stoop as a people. So I we guess I'm okay with it. No, it's true. So, all right. Is there any other Britney news to speak of? Uh, meanwhile, the lawyers with the pop singer and her ex-husband were in Los Angeles court to argue over whether the two have complied with court orders over parenting. And in Spears' case... Random drug testing. Fantastic. I'm not sure what that was supposed to be. I don't know, but I've got. Uh, hold on, I've got. I've got this one here. Let's see here. <laughs> what? What is that? <laughs> really? Yes. Okay. Hold on. Let's Raising see here. Children. Uh, let's see. I think I've I've got one here from the uh, this is my secret uh, sounds of terror thing. Wait, hold on. It's uh, the other one. This is uh, Jack the Ripper. I oh. think this is where the guy's stabbing a melon with a knife. Ew. I wonder if he has a fake accent for this one too. In the merry old London. In Victorian London, <laughs> evil killer prowled the foggy nights. He stalked the cobblestone streets of old London town. His long black cloak concealing long razor-sharp knives to slash unsuspecting victims. Never caught by the bobbies of Scotland Yard, this mad fiend was known to the terrified what? inhabitants. What is that buzzing that keeps happening? Jack I think it's a foghorn. The Jack the cell phone is ringing. Boy, this audio is really badly produced, and the headphones, you can hear it's all flangy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is real grippy. It's a Radio Shack Halloween. Maybe we should pull really? something else in here. <laughs> What's going on? I don't even know what that was. Was that Jack the Ripper reaching for his inhaler? I thought he... Okay, we heard that scream earlier when the woman was eaten by the crab. I, Darth... Ew, that's really gross. I think Darth Vader is stalking. Quick, tap dance on some boxes. I don't even understand what's going on here. Mm-hmm. 
These sound effects make no sense at all. <laughs> They're like Scotty J put them together. <laughs> it really is true. I'll do these and then we'll break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello, the Rick Emerson Show. Hello, sir. Hello. Uh, did you guys hear about the Britney Spears? Or I thought she got busted for driving drunk and her son or her daughter or whatever that is uh, called 911 on her. Did you guys report that? Well, last we, week? well we, there was a story where a woman's son called 911 because she was drinking while driving. That in was Washington not, State. In Washington State. It was not Brittany. I think her kids are only like 18 months and a year or something. They don't know how to work a phone yet? No, probably not. No, that was not. That was that did happen to a woman. It was not Brittany, though. Oh, okay. I thought you guys said it was Brittany. So, no. Yeah, no. I think I, was, I may have been joking. About, I may have said that as sort of a jape. Oh, misinformed again. Damn. I'm sorry. Really? On the Emerson show. Yeah, who, who, yeah, go figure. All right, thank you. Thank you. All right, one more. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hey, was that a uh, track from the musical by Spinal Tap about Saucy Jack? Saucy Jack. You're a naughty one, Saucy Jack. Oh, yeah, How sad ahead. that I know that. Thank you. Bye. 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 All right, yeah. Uh, Tim Riley, ladies and gentlemen, greatest newsman in the history of the world, back at three, uh, four, five, six, and seven, rather, all the way uh, through. Like us, this email says, "Hey, Paul Lind, he'll always be my secret square." All right, I can't do that. I can't roll my tongue. Yeah, <laughs> that always creeps you. It out. does. I don't know why. All right, back after this, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Stay there. Emerson Show. We now enter the saddest part of the broadcasting day, the final segment of our program. Lara's observation last night while hearing this was that she needed to sponge herself off after listening to this. She found this really creepy and off-putting for some reason. I kind of I, I dig it, too. Kind of an Estrude Gilberto thing going on here. Yeah, kind of a little, like a little, kind of like that Walter Wanderley sort of organ in the background there. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. How long do we have here? Three minutes. Three minutes. Four minutes. All right, That's cool. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Okay, you know, now that I think about it, I really am probably not going to be able to do those. I have to uh, probably do the Mistress of Reality tickets uh, tomorrow because I don't have time to do it properly here. And I don't know like a Color 5 thing. I guess I'll have to do that early in tomorrow's program. Now, the show is tomorrow night. We're going to have Mistress of Reality in the studio with us tomorrow. Uh, so we'll do those early on in the program. That's my fault. My fault, and I'm speaking now basically to Susan and Bridget who are going to yell at me for not getting the giveaway done. So sorry about that. All right, we got like two minutes here, four minutes, three. Okay, now we're going to fill the final three minutes by... Well, I was going to ask this, but I don't even really know that we're not going to have time. Okay. What are we going to ask? I have a series of small things written down here, and I didn't know which to do. A couple observations and a question. 
Observation number one. I'm now listening to the weirdest band on earth. There's a CD up in my office by a band. And I thought that they were, I mean, just by dint of the name, I don't mean to stereotype, but I assume they were an Azen band of some kind. They are, in fact, from Michigan, and they are called Black Moth Super Rainbow. That's awesome. And it's totally, it's like a totally like a happy, fun time, smile, family, luck, exotic wish show thing. Uh, they're fantastic. Also, um, I have this written down. This is a Sarah Dillon quote from last week. And the quote is, this is why I don't date actors. End quote. And I said, what do you mean? You said, we don't have time to talk about it now. And I think we couldn't talk about it because that was the day that the, the Night of the Living Dead stage play guys were in the studio. And you didn't want to talk about it then. So I now want to ask you about this statement. This is why I don't date actors. I don't know. Why would I say that? I mean. I don't know. I'm asking you. Hmm. Well, I don't think I'm. I'm... I don't know. You're catching me off guard here. I need to prepare for something. I'm like sorry. That. I didn't know you had to get some sort of text ready for this. Think about it while I read these emails. Okay. Uh, this is from Storm about Wade McCollum. Speaking of actors, she yes, said, by I the know. way, she said, Wade and I share a dressing room. We're constantly naked back there. It's all real. Signed, I love my job, Storm. So. Storm just wrote me and she wants, she's coming in on Friday and she might be bringing Wade. Really? Mm-hmm. Are you nervous? I'm totally nervous. Now, if I can ask you this, now why are you nervous? Because he, I mean... He's so pretty. Well, now, uh, is he a gay man? He is a gay man. I'm only saying because I don't wish to assume. I don't want to stereotype. He's in the theater. He's got to be gay. Because, you know, who knows? Who's to say? Mm-hmm. Now, I will say this. Now, in my life, uh, when I've been around women who are full-on, screamingly gay, I don't mean bi-curious... I don't mean some four-year lesbian where, like, they were in college and mom and dad weren't around. It seemed like a great idea. I mean, I have spent a part of my life, like, when Laura and I lived in San Diego, we lived in uh, Hillcrest, which is a gay neighborhood, and just just big, burly lesbians everywhere, which is just, well, no, which is fantastic, because you know what? No pressure. I didn't suck in my gut. I didn't even bathe sometimes if we were, like, going over to, what are we doing? Well, we're having dinner at Rachel and Stephanie's house. Well, Fine. Think I bothered to dress up? Think I did anything to improve my appearance? No. Why? Didn't matter. No pressure, no stress. Mm-hmm. So I would figure with you it would be the same. If you were around a man who was 100% gay, what do you care? No, but he's just so pretty and talented and creative. I and looks so much better in sparkly makeup than I do. <laughs> he really... Well, it is one of those, like, a total Tim Curry, Rocky Horror Picture Show, Eddie is, or, you know... Yeah. You know, he was Hedwig, right. too. I know. He was Hedwig, I am Hedwig so and the Angry Inch. Yeah. So. And he was in Batboy? Yeah. I mean, really, if anybody's going to be intimidated, I ought to be, because it is as though he was just recently chiseled by Michelangelo. Are we going to compete for his affection? Yes, that's exactly what we're going to do. We'll have a big pillow fight over Wade McCullum. Is he living, does he live in Portland? Is he a Portlander? I think so. I think right. he lives here currently. You know, having Storm and Wade uh, McCollum, who are, uh, you know, it, 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 I, I would say the two leads, but I mean two two large sections of cabaret in the studio at the same time, that's going to be a lot of the dump button and a lot of flamboyance. Seriously. And I was just going to say that it is sort of like, I don't even know what I was going to say, but it, it's like the universe might sort of fold in on itself right there. It's just like too much, uh, just too much exuberant over-the-top energy in one place for the, for the studio to sustain itself. So exciting. The studio's just going to fold up like that house at the end of Poltergeist. All right. Are we, oh, we're finished. We're done. Damn, we got nothing done today. Well, what are you going to do? Yeah, there's always tomorrow. Uh, Rick Emerson show produced today and every day with the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon for AM 970. Quit scratching yourself. My Solid State Richard. Radio. Uh, in the newsroom, Tim Riley uh, screening the phone today. Richie Bristol, the gatekeepers, Dave's in. Like us next, Donna Mike at 7. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Don't let the bastards grind you down. Bye now, kids. Two, two. Russian never rock this far.